0: Shot from the slot! Scores! Willie Nylander! From in, right off the face off on a rather innocent-looking play! And Willie Stiles has got the Leafs on the board! On the near side for Marner, back to Riley with some room! Go. What a pass from Miner! And Morgan Riley has given the Leafs the lead. Played around the boards, far side Gallagher. That's a shot to, it, to Flex. deflects. It comes in front of the net. Caulfield's shot is blocked. Rebound comes in front of the goal. They're still scrambling. Another shot played into the corner and it's over. The Leafs have hung on and beat the Montreal Canadiens two to one to take a series lead by the same count.
1: Well, as you know, Ziggy, I I live in a condo building, so I just want to apologize to my neighbors (laughs) who heard get the bleepin' puck out probably about a dozen times in that third period. I'm telling you, man, playoff hockey, there's nothing like it. We're right back into it full bore, screaming at the TV, dying with every shift, but there they are, the Leafs, short, Tavares, short Felino got it done.
2: Game threes are huge. You go up two one. You're down two one. You're down three nothing, or you're up three nothing. And I'm telling you, now that the Canadians have to win, you know, get three more in this series out of four in four games, yeah. it's tough, right? I, I, it's, it's tough for teams that are underdogs, especially uh, the better team. I'm not too concerned about in these situations, but when you have it on paper, the Canadians shouldn't be able to hold themselves with, with the Leafs. I don't even care. Take Tavares off, take Folino out. This team should beat them uh, four times out of seven. So the fact that they go in and get that one yesterday, that's a massive game. And it was, it was a good game. Top to bottom. I, I didn't see uh, uh, any real areas of concern outside of uh, the usual, the power play, but it's, it's been such a, a, a trend with this team that it's it, like I told you, your power play is your penalty kills more important than your power play. And that's what it's going to come down to this for them. They, they want a two, one tight game like that with, you know, w- without scoring on the power play. I just, I, at this point, they don't need it. The issue it's kind of like with the Jays pitching. It's like when you don't get those wins, it's like, well, look at look at our bullpen right now. They're, they're tired and they're taxed or we don't have the arms, right? It's very similar, the power play. It's like you don't really care about it until you start losing. Like if they lose these tight games and you have all these power play chances, it's glaring. So the power play, something I know was good in game two, but something has to change because... It feels like it's a momentum killer for them. Like I'd rather them go without. I'd rather them go with a penalty free game because I think five on five, they dominate Montreal. Um, they they give up. You know, the Suzuki goal. I I, you know, they they didn't really let the game get away from them. Didn't really let Montreal back in it. I thought Nylander's been the best player in the series. Best player last night. For me, it's energy and just a hard work ethic on the ice. And when you have those two things, not a whole lot can go wrong for you or when you're on the ice. And now he's getting rewarded a goal in every game. And that's what I expect. Like this is, this is the knee lander, his first two, three years in the league. This is the guy that I remember playing. It just a skilled player. Nobody in the ice can touch him when he's going, when his legs, when he's moving his legs, he's physical out there. He's controlling the play he's is really the best player. I no no offense to Austin Matthews out there. I think he's been excellent, but you know, we're we're hard on players when they don't perform and when they do come out, we got to we we got to let everyone know and and William Nylander right now is the guy.
1: Well, and this is a this is a m- minor detail in the morning after a win, but I I think it's a perfect point. And Sheldon Keefe talked about Nylander's work along the wall, especially in the third period, just competing for pucks in all three zones of the ice. But I thought Nylander's goal was the perfect example of what he's been doing in this series that Mitch Marner hasn't. Mm -hmm. Just get the puck to the net, and it might go in off a skate. And sure enough, Ben Sherratt, right? It it deflected off of Ben Sherratt. I thought Carey Price, who was fighting... I think a double screen there, Ziggy, was probably square to that puck if it comes straight through. But it deflects off of Sherratt and underneath Price's pad, and at the time, the Leafs take a one-to-nothing lead. And I thought, you know, for a guy who is so uber-skilled, who has the ability to make that highlight real play, that was just the simplest thing you could do in that moment. And for Mitch Marner who I think needs to take about a half dozen deep breaths. It just, it stood out. It was, there was a juxtaposition there where Nylander just did the simple thing. And it feels like Marner's trying to do two or three extra things when he's got the puck on his stick.
2: Yeah. He's just overthinking it right now. It's not big. He's not hurting the team. The thing for me is when a guy isn't going and he plays a lot of minutes more often than not, you hurt your team. Marner, he he's got another gear to go here, but it looks nervous in spots. Sometimes he's thinking of the better play. It's not there. Like in the playoffs, it's, it's not there most of the time in the regular season. You can get away with it. It's just a tighter checking game. Guys know Marner doesn't like to shoot and you, you have a book on every guy. So, you know, and you're going against the same guys over and over and you become more predictable. And that's, that's tough for a guy like Marner uh, who's unpredictable. So they're reading him well. He just seems like he's overthinking a lot of plays, but at the same time, he's not hurting the team. It's not his fault the power play isn't going. He's a big part of it, but I, I he's he's not hurting them. And that's what I'm concerned about when you have a guy that logs some of the most minutes on your team. And we've seen that with players in the past with this Leafs team or. Guys that that do play a lot when they're not going, they've been a liability. And I, Marner's not a liability for me there yet, so I, I really don't want to dig into how much I need to see more of Marner because it's gonna come. It's gonna come here. It might not might not come tonight, but eventually, as this series rolls on, and if when they presumably do get into the second round, I'm um, I'm I'm not too concerned yet. Yeah, I just I'm I'm saying I think he just needs to
1: take a deep breath. I uh, wasn't being you know, particularly critical of his play. It's just I think he's hanging on to the puck a half second too long. And, and some of the things that he would typically do in the middle of the season, as you said, it's a tighter checking game. They're just they're not available to him. And the guys are so much more committed to the back check because each shift is life and death. Jack Campbell. Now, this is this is going to be the Twitter troll poll question. We'll post it in just a little bit. Take your text to 59590. Of course, you're open to text us all morning to 59590 with general thoughts, questions, comments. Who do you want to see start and goal tonight? It's a back-to-back situation. Jack Campbell had 22 shots against in game two. He obviously stopped 21 of them. Last night, it was a bit of a heavier effort. The first two periods... He didn't have a lot of traffic. He made some very nice saves in that first period, but he didn't have a ton of shots. Then the third period rolled around and the Leafs were outshot 15 to two as they just battened down the hatches and tried to lock the thing down. And and eventually they did. I I think before the series started, I said, yeah, you know, you probably got to go with Freddie. I think if you're going to go with Freddie, Ziggy, two to one is the perfect time to do it because tonight is not life and death. For the Maple Leafs, by any stretch of the imagination, but I want to see Campbell back in there. For the just boys. Ignore everything <laughs> I just said. I want to see yeah. Jack Campbell back between the pipes. For the boys. Yeah,
2: yeah. I and I before the series the series started, uh, the week leading up to it. We we all saw the back to back coming, and that are you going to play your guy every single night? And leading up the first couple days is yes, I'd like to see Freddie in a game and I'd like to see Campbell not play back-to-back because he hasn't done it. He hasn't played back-to-back in the season. Like, I, I don't remember a time when he played any of those back-to-backs. So, do you want him playing back-to-back in the playoffs now? And leading up to the series, there's no situation where I see Freddie coming into it. Like, I I don't, I don't understand how you can put him in tonight when, in, in any situation, they're, you know up three down like maybe down three he would have went in um but you're you have a 2-1 series lead H- how do you put anderson in that i i don't i don't see it happening and that's it that's fine i'm fine i'm fine with campbell going back he's look and it's it's not about the fact that he's stopping pucks and they're up two one and the team looks good for me it's that he looks confident net. he looks comfortable. He doesn't look tired. You know when a goaltender's flopping up, or after a scrum in front of the net, or if Montreal gets a lot of zone time, you see your goaltender kind of taking his time, like Hellebuck last night. He looked tired; like he had trouble getting up sometimes. Obviously, Hellebuck's not coming out of the net for for Winnipeg if they play four in a row, but. I just, he looks good in net. He looks comfortable, confident, and he doesn't look fatigued. So you, you keep him in. Like if Anderson goes in, I, I, I'd give it a, a 1% chance. I, I would really be shocked if Anderson played.
1: Well, let's hear from Sheldon Keefe, who starts in goal Tuesday.
2: Really just on how, how uh, Jack feels. That's going to be the big one, both,
1: both on health and energy. So there you have it. I mean, that, that's the
2: that's the simplest. Well, he's thing. probably bad Yeah, he's probably battling that injury. Like that injury he had during the season, it didn't go away. No, I'm telling you right now, there's no way that our our Sheldon Keith would have just said, "No, Jack's going back in." If that's nagging him a little bit, yeah, you we see Freddie tonight. But if he feels good and he looked good last night, didn't seem, didn't show any signs that he was run down. You you go back with him,
1: man. And if they as i said they they hung on in that third period i i thought it was a terrific hockey game front to back like it wow well, yeah, yeah you know i we sit here and pick apart different things i really don't i think from an entertainment perspective it was a relatively low scoring game we know that but it it was it was a hell of a watch it it really was and then as a leafs fan you're sitting there in the third period just dying right i mean just get the puck out screaming that repeatedly at the TV and, and they were flipping pucks into the neutral zone. It's amazing. eh? at this time of year, you don't see a whole lot of that in regular season Ziggy, right? Because not as yeah. much as at stake, the two points, um, you know, you're going to come away if you're a good team with two points on more nights than you're not. But this ain't a Saturday night in February. Like you're, they, they were just doing what they could to survive in that third But it was high-quality hockey. I I didn't think it was overly chippy, but it was just it was uber-competitive. There were a couple of scrums after the whistle. Guys were driving hard to the net. It was just a well-played game. And we can sit here and start to worry about how the Leafs might stack up against a Vegas or a Colorado or a Boston or a whoever should they get to the third round of the playoffs. But that is a long way off. And this team is doing what it can right now Without John Tavares, its second line center, and without its backup second line center Nick Felino, because it's become pretty clear, you know, Jack Campbell's got this nagging thing. It looks like Nick Felino's going to have this
2: thing nag him for a while. Yeah, I and who knows if, if that's when you remember when he got hurt in Montreal originally at the end of the season. Is it the same injury, right? So now you have Felino go down. Yeah, it's it's this is going to be. It, their depth is going to be tested, right? Um, Nash slotted back in. It's it's going to be, they're going to need everybody. Every minute at this point, when you're, so, you, so when your captain or your best player goes down, um, another big piece goes down, all of a sudden, like I said, Sandine comes in, Dermot comes out. You have all these new faces now, guys that usually wouldn't be in the lineup. Every minute matters. And whether you play 20 minutes or two minutes, it's in, in the playoffs, every moment matters. And a situation like this, this was where the Leafs got tested last night. Let's see what our depth is like. Let's see who we have, who can kind of step into situations that maybe they're not used to. Like, I think Kerfoot's been excellent. He's all over the place. He's physical. This is something where, this is like the the Colorado Kerfoot that I'm I'm used to seeing. This is like a, something else. Um, I think the empty net goal was big for him. It kind of gave him a little bit of confidence. You can see it in a guy's step last night. Carrying the puck. He was good through the neutral zone. Um, creating plays in the offensive zone space. Getting under the K- Habs' skin. It's He does all those things. He's effective. That, that's one player I'm looking to. mckayev has been... He's looked good as well. And there are going to be certain guys that you're going to look to in different situations where, yeah, you're going to need... More out of them, and especially up front when you have those two guys down. I just think at this point for this Leafs team, you when your your depth is gonna get tested at some point in the playoffs. I'm kind of happy that it started this early. Like, if it would have been a four-nothing sweep of the Canadians, nobody got hurt, the power play was going, everything was good, and then you see some adversity later on, you don't know, right? But the fact that it's happened earlier, they lost the first one. Now they got to go in. They steal one in Montreal. They get home ice back. They have their captain go down. Foligno, their guy that was supposed to come in and create, you know, energy and physicality on the ice and a leader in the room. All of a sudden, he's not playing. The power play hasn't been good for the most part. And now they're in a position where they're up 2-1 and they look good. The only thing I'd be worried about at this point, is I hope they don't look ahead to the next series because Winnipeg closed it out. And I I know this happens. I've seen it happen where a team is should win a series, but the other series finishes early, and then all of a sudden they're looking ahead and you don't take care of business. And I'm not saying that this is going to add an element of where I'm worried the Leafs might not get past the Canadians. I just don't want this one to go six or seven games yeah. That's an issue.
1: But what do you mean you've seen it happen? You like like there's conversations in the locker
2: room about, oh, that team got it done or no, no conversations, but you can see it in the play. You can see when a team's not full, like focus and concentration are the two biggest factors for a player individually on the ice and a team. Once you lose focus and concentration, nothing else works. I don't care who's on your team, your best player, what he's doing, how good your systems are, how well you're coached. When you don't have those two, you can't perform on the ice and you're not going to win as a team. And I can just, I've seen it in teams where you don't talk about it in the room. No one's saying like, Oh, well look what Winnipeg's doing. I can't believe. And you've only, you're, you're you're in a one, one series in a seven game series. So I you don't talk about it, but I've seen teams almost let down or look to the next one before they've taken care of business. And, I hope that doesn't creep into their games. Yeah, I mean, they can take a stranglehold tonight. and This is the the big game. This is probably the most important. This isn't even... This is like... This is like Jays relievers. Like, you have the lead. You're going in. What's more important? We talk about all the time. The eighth inning over the ninth, right? right? This is like the eighth inning. It's more important most of the night. So, take care of business. Well,
1: if you... I mean, if you win tonight, you're up three games to one. Duh. But also to take consecutive games on the road on consecutive nights and stick Montreal with potentially three elimination games like I, I think if you win tonight you, t- you take the series Thursday on home ice I, I really believe that now you know the Minnesota Wild proved last night that you can go back out on the road in a fifth game down three games to one and and survive and get the series back home. So I know there's a, an example in the current playoffs of, of the scenario I just laid out for the Maple Leafs not working out for the Vegas Golden Knights. But the Leafs are clearly the better team despite the fact that Tavares and Foligno are down. The Montreal Canadiens pushed. But let's be honest again. I mean, they didn't get a ton... To the middle of the ice, I thought Campbell made a couple of huge, huge saves in that first period. They obviously weathered the storm. The Leafs did in the third. Jack plays at the top of his crease. He's fighting through traffic to see the puck. Like he's an absolute battler. But man, oh man, I I think I think Corey Perry on that on that dish to to Nick Suzuki late
2: in the game. Remember that? I I think if Perry had that back, he'd shoot. Oh, you have to, but, shoot. are you, are you going to put it? He has to put the puck on the ice. Like if you're going to feather one over, it's gotta be on the ice. The puck didn't touch the ice. It was in the air. That's a really tough puck for Suzuki.
1: Yeah. absolutely. And, and he's on his forehand Suzuki, Yeah, right? Like he's not a left-hand shot. He's a right-hand shot. So he's got to wait for that thing to come to his stick. But those, those aside, like it wasn't like Montreal was generating a ton. It right in front of Jack Campbell in the
2: so-called dirty areas in front of the net. He was big in the third period he Had 15 shots. He made a couple timely saves early, but yeah, the bulk of work was in the third, especially with the, the, when they pulled price and you're not going to have these games where you, 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 they're easy to get into for a goaltender. You're going to have some of these where you only get tested a couple times and you need to make those big stops In saying that the one goal they did get, I wasn't thrilled with it. Like I, those those can those will hurt you a lot in the playoffs. Letting those goals in, I, I didn't like that one. Um, I know he was inside the dots, and he had some. Sp- and Suzuki had some speed coming in over the blue line. I thought Morgan Riley just didn't look confident in that spot. Like I expect a, my number one defenseman to to get up tight on him, but that's just a guy that when a defenseman ever doesn't play tight on a forward, most of the time he either thinks the guy has too much speed, he can't get him or the player doesn't have confidence to get up there because he thinks he's going to go around him. Um, and I know it was a little bit of a turnover and it it, it, it was a broken play, right? It, you couldn't really get into a rush. You couldn't really set your gap, but I didn't think it was necessary. Like, I thought the Leafs could have done more in that situation to prevent the shot from inside the, the dots and in, inside the top of the circle. And I thought the way Campbell has been playing, I don't expect those to go in.
1: I agree with you. But what matters most to me is that he bounced right the hell back.
2: Yeah, he, right? doesn't, he doesn't let those things bother him. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's,
1: that's the biggest thing. Because you worry about, it was a deflating goal. And I don't think I'm alone in this, speaking for other Leafs fans. Like,
2: Carey Price lives in the back of our minds. And yet, Carey Price was off about- his angle
1: on the game-winning goal.
2: Yeah, okay. So I didn't like I don't know what it is about the best goaltenders and these old school like Carrie Price is now an old school guy. I know that's kind of hard for a lot to people a lot of people to hear, but I don't I it's almost like he was pushing right off the left post because he didn't think Riley would shoot it from there. Because the your percentages of scoring in that spot down the right hand side, like it's just your your odds aren't good at putting that in from where he shot it. And it was almost like okay, Price is thinking. He's got to put something towards the middle of the net or far side because he can't score from there. It's a low percentage play. And these guys like price, the best goaltenders in the league, they're very good at reading the play and they're almost moving to where they think the play should be going. And sometimes guys don't make the right play, but Hey, if you don't put the puck on the net, you can't score. I literally was in the, like, I wanted to tweet, like put shots on put the puck on net last night and then Nylander literally yes. scored while I was typing, but they they both goals were kind of run off the same play and BX, I believe, talked about this. I'm not sure if he talked about um, the Riley goals well, but it is a faceoff play where the winger comes off the boards, goes up the middle to the top. That's a tough play because both wingers are going out and now you're like, well, who has them? Because we got our both defense, we got our D guys. Our we're responsible for coming to the, covering the point on both sides of the blue line. Now they kind of guess, and Anderson kind of guessed a little bit when he was chasing on the Nylander one. And then the pl- the forward coming across the top of the circle can make a play. I love that whoever drew that up. I love it. I'm using it in UFT whenever we start playing next year, and I'll probably tweak it a little bit and make it better. Of course. <laughs> Just
1: lengthen that sentence out just a little bit. Uh, Gord Stellick will jump on on the other side. Ian Tulloch, Mike Zeisberger, Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette, David Amber of Hockey Night in Canada. They are all ahead on the program. We will do our weekly Tuesday baseball chat. Kevin Barker for Barkett Barker for the half hour at 7.30. Uh, some big Blue Jays news in the middle of what has become a pretty ugly losing streak for this team, we'll delve into that with Barker. Gord Stelic as the Leafs take a two games to one series lead. Game four is tonight in Montreal. Who should start in goal, Campbell or Anderson? And we're only asking because it's a back-to-back. Text us to 59590. We'll throw up the troll poll on Twitter. The Twitter troll poll is up for your Tuesday morning. Who should start in goal tonight, Campbell or Anderson? And before you think, we're nuts for asking that question. It's it's a back-to-back situation. Jack hasn't done it all year. And he battled an injury uh, for a good portion of the season. Even when he was back and playing, they had to monitor it. So that is the logic behind the question. And you can vote at Scotty Mac Thanks at Mike Sigamanis. At Hugh W. Burl at Fan 590, Duggan Brantford texts in to Five Ninety Five Ninety. How's this for a curveball? Discombobulate the Habs by starting Hutchinson tonight. I bet they don't have a plan drawn up for him and they'd be caught off guard. Well, they'd be caught off guard. But we're sending the uh, piss tests to Brantford this morning. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to I'll tell you right happen, now, so, if, Michael yeah. Hutchinson, if Michael Hutchinson starts in goal for the Leafs tonight, I will do the edge walk. Win or lose the <laughs> hockey game, I will do the edge walk on the CN Tower. That's how confident I am. It ain't going to happen.
2: Without a safety rope. Oh. Without
3: a
1: sa- <laughs> Oh, my God. Could you imagine oh. just crawling on that little platform there with... Oh, I've got a host, co-host a radio show with you, Ziggy, and I'm I'm getting vertigo just <laughs> thinking about it. All right, Gord Stelick. All right, here he is, the co-host of Leafs Nation. Free and post here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, you hear him before and after every Leafs game alongside Nick Alberga. Uh, here is Gord Stellick. Gord, who would you start tonight? Ziggy and I are saying Jack Campbell, and I think there are logical reasons to argue for Freddie Anderson, but you got to track the way the series has gone. If Jack's feeling okay, it's got to be him.
3: Yeah, you know, well, you know, Sky and Ziggy as well. You look on the other side, Montreal was kind of the poster team for getting depth in goaltending. I mean, they made a significant move trading and, you know, and signing Jake Allen what they're going to pay him. So you said, yeah, they're looking at giving Carey Price some depth, but they're going to go with Carey Price. That's the guy, you know, you want to go with because he's hot. And, and uh, unless there's something mitigating, we don't know about Jack Campbell. Don't overthink it. Uh, ride it. You ride the hot gold center in the playoffs. It's a whole different animal. And he's about as hot as I think he's ever been in his career. So that would be my choice.
2: William Nylander with three goals now in the series and on everything he's creating offense back checking he's doing all these things that we expect him to do Um, what are your thoughts on him so far and is there any way to kind of I know we talk about how many minutes players get is there is there any way to get him on the ice more because I know he's been in around that 16 minute mark every game and if you can play a guy like that 20 he's going to be so much better wouldn't he?
3: Yeah. yeah. Why? Well, I think he's earned the minutes. I think that's like, you know, whether it's on the, you know, the NBA or the NHL, like minutes is what you really control as a coach, as far as the most, you know, accurate thing that you can do to tell a player when they're playing really well, or maybe when you got to rein it in a little bit and, you know, keep in mind, Ziggy, the guy's kind of a lone wolf on, on his line. Now Tavares uh, got hurt in the first period of the first game. Now Nick Felina wasn't able to play yesterday. So the, the Leafs real strength was view of the power of those two lions. And right now, Nylander's the only the only guy left of that line, right, or that played last night. I, I, I guess he was kind of kidding. He changed you know, something on his Twitter feed or Twitter handle about, you know, give me more minutes or give me more ice time. He kind of put that out there. He's not a guy who's uh, unafraid. I, I like him. He's very glib and, and funny and entertaining in this world of Zoom call sound bites, which really aren't all that exciting by and large. So uh, I, I, I think in after game one, Sheldon Keith acknowledged it. You got a lot of you know a lot of minutes for guys like marner matthews hyman and a lot of it's penalty killy related for say marner that way but i i think in a perfect world when you've got somebody going you want to try to get him on a little bit more maybe a little bit more power play time as well for nylander but you know it's 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 great to, we're not talking about his contract holdout we're not talking about did they overpay we're not talking about him being too streaky you know, we're talking about a guy that that finished the season in a good place and really has been flying these few games. So I, I would absolutely advocate getting him more minutes.
1: And I, I just saw it on his goal, gourd. It was the simplest thing you could do. This is a guy we're accustomed to the highlight reel business, the flash and dash, got the puck to the net, right? And if that goes, I, I know Price is battling a screen, maybe a double screen there, but he's square to the puck if it comes right through to him. You put the puck at the net. Maybe it goes off a skate. Maybe it goes off a stick. It went off Charot, and it trickled underneath Price. Simplest play you can make: getting the puck to the net.
3: Well, exactly. And 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 uh, Rasmus Sandin, it was on the power play. The other did, did that. I know. I know Ziggy's played where you know fans will start yelling, "Shoot! Shoot! Shoot!" I know it's not always that simple as it looks from the stands because there's plays that are set up there's practices that are worked around getting that uh, best scoring chance possible but scott to your point you know and particularly on the power play shoot more just shoot more it's it's it, i know it sounds simple but quite often it's just the most effective thing you do when you get traffic that way and you know the maple Police have a few more guys starting with wayne simmons that are not afraid to stand in front of that i yeah i like that as far as if there's one Thing the Leafs has done a bit they've showed a lot of skill but they've shown a propensity to maybe over handle the puck a couple of times make that extra pass when it's unnecessary and uh, I welcome more of the that kind of play that Nylander did on the goal
2: we all knew the Habs had to be physical to have a chance against the Leafs um, they didn't have the hits they had in the first two games were uh, they at last night 37 hits but I thought it kind of hurt them a little bit at times, right? You had the Toffoli penalty. I think it was a late hit on, on Brody. I just, do you think it's almost hurting them where they're running around and, and looking for that instead of actually, you know, playing the game and just doing what they have to do in front of them instead of just running around everywhere? Yeah. You, you know,
3: you, you love that if you can distract the team and they focus on that a little too much. And I think that, I think that's a fair comment to make about last night's game because you know, Ziggy, at the end there, I give them full value. Like, they outshot at the least 14 to 2. They really competed in the third period. So, like, if I'm a Montreal fan, then I, I'm I'm going off that a little bit, that even though they didn't mm-hmm. get the goals, they really showed a lot of compete there. And to your point, when they focused on the task at hand, trying to even it up. And, uh, man, I don't know why they don't play Cole Caulfield more. Like, I can see mm-hmm. why they're ticked, you know, because he played early. They kind of forgot about him. Then he played late. I, I, I would I would have him on the ice all the time. But I think at this point... You know, it's kind of like the Tampa Bay-Florida series. You you go hard, the physicality part early on, and then you kind of get down to, you know, someone's got to try to win a hockey game. And it it, it doesn't completely go away, but but nobody needs to make an impression or imprint. Montreal's going to be a physical team. I think they've recognized that the Maple Leafs as a team are pretty good at standing up to physical play.
2: Yeah, I thought Caulfield, I don't know why. I'm with you, Gordon, that I just, he came out, he looks... He's just—he's a threat to score every time he gets the puck in the offensive zone. I—I'm—I, I really don't get it. Played played almost 16 minutes, but I, I'd have him out there 19, 20 minutes because, like I said, he's he's dangerous every time he's out there. Um, it's almost like you wonder if 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 the Canadians' management or coaching staff—it's like you don't want to rely on the young kids or the prospects, right? Like you don't want your whole season on their shoulders, right? Is there some part of that? Or they just think they can beat the Leafs a different way.
3: Well, you know, Ziggy and Scott, like, see, I think that's a, that, that's old school thinking, which, you know, should, you know, look at Spencer Knight in Florida, like, you know, uh, players come up and you're part of it. You, You coach at the, you coach at the minor league level and the, and the kid level that there's, I remember talking to Ken Hitchcock about it, you know, on air about seven, eight years ago, they come up prepared. I don't care where they are. They're so They're so well coached and so prepared and so in condition and, you know, all that kind. Now, sure, playing in the American League never hurt anybody. Uh, You know, you get more reps, you get whatever. But really, you know, if someone comes up prepared and can just, you know, grab it and embrace it, go for it let them go. And, and, uh, you know, Florida's obviously going to ride Spencer Knight now, whether it's one more game or more, the 20 year old kid in goal. And then in the case of Montreal, just, and also they come up, you know, quite often they don't even feel the pressure. They're looser than you think they actually mm-hmm. don't because they haven't, you know, they haven't been around the city long enough, what have you of that. So they're, they're kind of fun. They're loose and I'd let them go.
1: With Gord Stellick on leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan Oilers uh, get swept out. Triple overtime game in Winnipeg last night. Uh, Kyle Connor with the goal at the 6.52 mark of the sixth period. So Winnipeg advances. Let's go back a couple of months around the trade deadline. This is Oilers GM Ken Holland about the state of his team and his approach to the trade deadline this year.
0: I think you pick and choose. I don't know that you you can be all in every year. I think you pick
1: and choose. You pick and choose. I don't know if you can be all in every year. Now, the Oilers had a bit of a cap situation and couldn't add much at the deadline. We understand that. That quote is ringing in my mind here a couple of months later. And yes, three of the four games with Winnipeg went to overtime. But the bottom line is this team got swept. And the bottom line is another year of Connor McDavid's prime is wiped off the books.
3: Well, I think Ken Holland, right after the game, I don't know if they have old filing cabinets. I imagine it's all online now, but just to double check, yes, he did sign an eight-year contract. Like, say, unlike Austin Matthews' five-year contract, he does have an eight-year contract. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd start saying, you know, he had two more years after this. You know, you start worrying that way a little bit. I, I... Uh, I I don't Edmonton, I think gets cut way too much slack, way too much slack. They've got the, you know, they've got McDavid, they've got dry And, you know, now it's the third five-year build going on. I don't, I mean, this is like for the Toronto and Winnipeg. If, and we all figured out this is a, this is kind of a neat Canadian division, but a, but a great opportunity to come first overall without you know, whether it's Tampa Bay or somebody else from the other Pacific divisions, you know, challenging that way. So, uh, you know, they had a three goal lead the other night. They had a lead again last night. Uh, it's about what the Leafs did. I think last night's a great example with the Leafs. This is the year that they found ways to win. Something that doesn't show up statistically, you know, how do you go about winning games? Now, if you would ask me the Leafs up 2-1, I would have said, oh, well, Matthews, Marner, and uh, and, and Hyman dominated one of the games. Well, no, they've do- They've dominated zero of the games. And last night, they got outshot 14-2, and Jack Campbell they hung on for a 2-1 win. Well, that's not the Leafs' style, but they found a way to win. Edmonton not finding ways to win. Finding ways to blow leads and that, and that's you know something I think for Winnipeg, you know, to win as you mentioned three of the four in overtime and find ways to win and do it in the playoffs is huge. Uh, I I'd be incredibly. I mean, she's like like you, you want to go deep with Connor McDavid. Like you want you want your star players to go deep in the playoffs if you're a hockey fan. And and uh, it's kind of you know way back when Mario Lemieux his first six years in the NHL the Penguins didn't make the playoffs five of the six, but then they won two Stanley Cups. Uh, after that, I I don't quite see that in the Edmonton Oilers' fortunes. They just can't... they got to get some better depth around them. Jeez.
1: Well, and that that's it. But I, I think I think it goes deeper than the crest gourd, right? Like, we're sitting here saying it's time for the Shanna plan. It's time for Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe, who replaced Mike Babcock, to go through some rounds here, win some playoff series. In Edmonton, Ken Holland's got a little bit of time. He's just two full years now into the gig, and... The reality, certainly the perception, and I think a large part of the reality, is that he had to go in and clean up some of Peter Shirelli's mess. So I think think the assessment of the Oilers is related to the new front office and what can this guy who had a quarter century of success in Detroit do. But he needs a little bit of time because they're in a bit of a cap mess here, so it's going to take a few years. I think that's why they get a longer leash. It's not necessarily right, but it's why they get a longer leash.
3: Well, you know, it's funny. The leash is up to the owners, right? Whichever individual owner. You saw in New York that basically Vegas has wrecked that model. you got owners saying that, wait a sec, you got an expansion team that made the Stanley Cup in the first year, and uh, you're presenting me a five-year plan, <laughs> and, and these guys made the Stanley Cup final in the first year. So, again, if you have ownership on side, and that's why Brendan Shanahan actually does not like the term Shanahan plan, but it, it's a good term because he, he kind of came in, he watched for a year, and then he tore it all down, and we all, as a, a fan base, understood, okay, it's like getting your house built properly, and we understood about laying the foundation, and so far, by and large, we have seen that. And you're right, in Edmonton, it's it's like somebody that wins a lottery, and the next year, they spend all the lottery money, kind of. Like, they won the lottery And Connor McDavid, dryside will they pick later on in a different draft, and that's a great, great pick. And they haven't built, well, they really haven't built that foundation around that particular pick, unlike here in Toronto.
1: Well, it'll be a fun one tonight. Uh, hopefully, the Leafs can pull it out, take a three-one lead, and and bring it back home on Thursday with a chance to close it out. We'll do this again tomorrow, Gord. Always love these uh, morning after the game night chats.
3: Well, it's it's fun. We got the buzz right, like the Raptors two years ago and the Jays in 2015, and we got that neat buzz out there. And let's hope we can keep it going for a while.
1: You got it, Gord Stellick with Nick Elberga, the co-host of Leafs Nation pre and post here on Sportsnet 590. The fan texts are flying into 590, 590. You can vote in our Twitter troll poll. at Scotty Mac thinks of Mike Zygamanis at Hugh W. Burrell. Who should start in goal for the Maple Leafs tonight? And Before you think it's the stupidest question you've ever heard, just remember Jack Campbell nursed an injury for a large part of the season, even when he returned, and he has not played on consecutive nights all year long. So it's a legit question from that perspective. Uh, we'll get into the uh, responses to that in a moment.
3: You're listening to Lead Off with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.
1: This doesn't have to play after road wins. It never plays after road wins. Uh, Vic in Toronto has other things on his mind. Ziggy, where are th- <laughs> where in the hell do you find Sheep Keeper? I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> is that a serious yes. text? Come on. Silent Vic, thumbs up or thumbs down? Is that a real text? You can see the text line. Yeah. Thumbs up. Come yes, on. it is.
2: I'm sure it's at Whole Foods but I know uh, there's not many Whole Foods like what is there three of them in the city there's and there's another one in the west end um they they have it everywhere it depends i i, I mean i feel like they have it everywhere no wouldn't it be at Metro too i, I haven't been no, to metro in got, a while They got whole got the flavored cow kefir at most places okay yeah i don't know i mean i i know whole foods is a little uh, it's a little expensive like everything you buy there is a little bit more I like it cause I can get the organic produce and then I just get everything else. Cause by the time I start driving around from place to place and now or you know, you're waiting in lineup or you have to wait a couple days or a week if you want to get your groceries delivered, it's, it's tough, right? I just do one stop. I'm not, I'm not driving everywhere. I just get all my stuff. I know what I'm getting in my produce. I haven't had kefir in a while. Um, we should do a Kiefer giveaway. That's what we should do. Oh, damn. I feel <laughs> I
1: feel like I should have made a bet with Hugh over Kiefer, not push-ups on the uh, CN Towers yeah. glass floor. Although I should probably not speak too soon either. And big game four win tonight would would make me feel really confident mm-hmm. about where this is at. The troll poll is out there at Scotty Mac Thinks at Mike Zigomandus at Hugh W. Burl on Twitter. Uh it's a back to back situation. Jack Campbell did nurse an injury for most of the season, didn't play in a back to back on consecutive nights all season long. Therefore, who should start and goal for the Leafs tonight? Should it be Campbell? Should it be Anderson? A ton of votes coming in. We just threw this thing up like 20 minutes ago. Campbell coming in at 78.5%. We were talking about this before the series started, Ziggy, and I said, well, you know, if, if you look at the series as a whole, Frederick Anderson makes sense to slot in in game four. But then you get into the series, you see how a guy is playing, and Sheldon Keefe said it. If 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 Campbell feels good, they'll go to him. And I, I'm willing to say, I don't even think I was wrong about this. I just didn't want to give up on Freddie Anderson so quickly. I felt a lot of people were doing it. There's no question that Jack Campbell is the number one guy for this team now. And I think every Leafs fan should feel good about the way he's playing. Even if you didn't like that goal against last night, Man, he bounced back, and especially in the third period, he was big in his net, front of his crease. He was huge. Yeah,
2: and there's a little bit like I know uh, I'm a lot of what I think of what's going to happen tonight in net is going to center around Campbell and his health. But if he would have let in another one like he did last night, just another iffy one, and that game goes to OT, you know, I, I if the game, you know, I, i maybe, but it's one goal. Like, <laughs> I know we sit here and dissect and we dig into every single play and every goal and what a guy does. And he took the wrong path and Riley should have got up tighter on his gap with Suzuki. But all in all, I thought that was a good defensive effort from the team. Um, And it was a really good one from Campbell and he made the stops when he needed to make them. And that's what you're looking for. You're behind the bench and you're Keith, like he knows Campbell's going back in. Like I, I, I really, I think I, I'm giving it a one percent chance that it, say something happened to Campbell last night where he tweets something or whatever was bothering him during the season. But Campbell's going back in. I just I, I think it would be crazy to throw Freddie in in the situation when a guy is playing well and he's not tired. That's what it looks like for me. I'm looking to see what what's what is Campbell like? Is he tired? Is he getting up like after some you know? A lot of, off, you know, if Montreal is putting the pressure on the Leafs in in their own zone, like what does Campbell look like? A lot of times you can't see on TV either. Like we don't know. You need to be at those games where you're seeing a goaltender after, you know, you make a stop, you're on your own end for a minute and a half and the puck goes the other way. What is your goaltender looking? As a coach, you can tell how he is, how he's playing shots. Is he controlling his rebounds? There's no real weak spot in Campbell's game. He's coming out of the net. He's playing the puck. He's confident in his decisions. I, you, you, you ride him at this point. Hugh Burrell's blue
1: eyes are producing tears, rolling down his very white face, puffing out his red cheeks. Blue blanc et rouge the state of things with Hugh Burrell as the Leafs have a two-games-to-one series lead. We'll do the panel chat, then Ian Tullock of Maple Leafs Hot Stove. We'll get into the charts and the data. What's it telling us about where this series is headed? So now we're getting all these texts, Ziggy, about sheep kefir. Dan in Georgetown, why don't you just buy
2: a sheep and start milking it? I actually got some space in my backyard. I wonder oh, if God. I could hold a couple sheeps back here, maybe a couple chickens. I think you'll be a little, little, little hen. We'll have a a hen house back here. Hearing
1: from city bylaw when
2: Doris calls the cops on you. You think think Doris would have a problem if I put a little sheep farm and like, a little a little hen house in well, my backyard?
1: I'm picturing the look on Doris's face. And when we play you this clip, you need to just focus on Brooks Kepka as you oh hear my. him talk. <laughs> okay, so Brooks Kepka is going to do a pre-recorded little stand-up interview deal with the golf channel. This is not live. And you'll understand what we mean and why in a moment. But Bryson Dechambeau and his crew are walking back toward the clubhouse as Kepka is speaking and cut behind Kepka. Brooks Kepka, the look on his face, he could have absolutely killed Dechambeau. Keep this in mind when you listen to this.: Just ball struck my way around this place.) Uh- put well but i don't think many guys are going to putt well with this wind. it's it's very tough i don't like i said i don't know what other guys have said or i just felt it difficult to read you know sometimes sometimes um i, f- <laughs> lost, well, I lost my train of thought yeah <laughs> hearing that bull- <laughs> <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> all
4: right yeah, yeah, start over. <laughs> We're
3: gonna enjoy that at the TV compound. <laughs> I honestly wouldn't even care.
1: I honestly wouldn't
2: even care. Maybe he cares now, though. Oh, <laughs> I, I mean, don't think. He, every... I don't think he cares at all. No. I uh, yeah, I, he doesn't care at all. But I it, that's that's a little much for me. Like we all know Brooks Kepka, but that's a little much. Like like wh- I didn't quite hear what Deshambo said. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of players don't like DeChambeau's whole act. Like, I don't want to take anything away from Kepka here and, and everything he did, but the whole DeChambeau thing, like, I think it rubs a lot of players the wrong way. And that just gives you a little idea. Like that's in front of a camera. How bad is it when the cameras aren't rolling?
1: Yeah. And I think part of this is that Bryson DeChambeau looks like a guy and behaves like a guy who is not concerned with much of what's going on around him? So when Brooks Kepka is giving a pre-taped interview to the golf channel and DeChambeau is like ten feet away from him, walking behind him on the way to the clubhouse, he's yammering and talking about whatever he's talking about. He's probably discussing wind and yardsticks and, 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 and club pressure. selection. He's and, oblivious
2: to what's going on. Yeah. Like he, like yeah. he has doesn't no idea. He doesn't care. He, he doesn't, he doesn't care. And it's not that he's a bad guy. Like from what I've heard, DeShambeau is a good guy. It's just, you know, the guys that just rub people the wrong way. And like, it's cause he's not a bad guy. He just goes about his own business. He doesn't bother anybody else. Do whatever you want. I'm going to do what I do. And that's it. But I mean, you got to stay quiet in certain situations. You have to not talk about how far you hit the ball when you actually, like when you're a guy that crushes the ball, you don't talk about how far you hit the ball, but he has no issues talking about how far he hits the ball and how he's changing the game. Like I get it. Right. Yeah. and, And this, this
4: is something with Brooks Koepka that goes back a little bit. Um, Brooks Koepka does not like Bryson DeChambeau. And I'm going to disagree with Ziggy. I, I think DeChambeau do exactly what he was doing, walking through that shot with that, that stupid little grin on his face. And, and,
1: yeah, this little hat on. I, I,
4: I love Brooks Koepka because he's probably the most honest golfer out there. He doesn't care one iota about non-major events. He said that. He doesn't care. He doesn't even practice unless it's a major and we, we talk about the, this this golf super league that, that's kind of in the background, backed by the Saudis offering millions and millions of dollars. Brooks Kafka might be the guy who goes for that because it's all about the money. It's all about the money. And and it just But see he this, hates Bryson Deshaunt. Right. And this is good. Yeah. It, it's this fantastic. is good for the sport. They're not teammates, they're all independent contractors. They don't have to like each Tiger other. Tiger and yeah. Phil. Didn't like each nope. other.
1: Historic rivalries through the ages, doesn't matter if it's team sports or individual sports, it's everything. Yeah. Give me so, these two in the final group on a Sunday. Well, wouldn't it be a major tournament? If they
4: were paired together through the first two rounds of the U.S. Open. Phew. That would be so,
2: amazing. So I just had a text message from a buddy. He just sent me something that said, while Kepka was saying it felt, I felt difficult to to read sometimes when he was referring to the greens. Deschambeau said, just got to start it on the right line. So I don't know if he was talking. I I couldn't hear. I couldn't hear what That would be funny. That would be funny (laughs) and great. But we don't know if he was referring to Kepka talking about the putt or if he's talking, I think he was talking about off the tee because that's his game, right? Like, right. Dude, I just got to sh- like who they're, they're probably like two junior golfers that just played the par three, nine course Muni around the corner. And we're just talking about, oh yeah, I hit the, I hit my eight iron there 110 yards. Like, I feel like that's a Deschambeau kind of comment where, you know, Brooks is doing an interview. They're at a major and Deschambeau's talking about like what he does on 13 at the end of the day, like something so ridiculous, but he, I mean, he could have known that. If he was talking about Brooks and and how he said it's t- difficult to read the putts, and he's like, you just got to start it on the right Jeez. line. <laughs> that would be awesome.
1: Just give me more. Kapck and DeChambeau. Oh in, in a pairing. <laughs> in a pairing. All right, Abs fan. Yes. You all right?
4: I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm a little down today.
1: Yeah, you're <sighs> you're now, noticeable. Now looks- you're wearing just like a totally random t-shirt <laughs> no. you're not decked out in Habs no, crap like no, you were after no, game one no, on Friday no. <laughs> morning
4: I learned my lesson there
1: <laughs> like you should have seen it well, Zig you uh, should have just seen the act it was the amazing. hat oh, it was the red <laughs>
4: the red jersey like just everything yeah the most iconic jersey in all of sport by the way there's not one that even comes close the New
1: York Yankees pinstripes would like to have oh, a okay. conversation one, with you but
4: one and one a One and one. No, it's. I've said this for for years now. Um, The only problem with Carey Price is that he doesn't score enough. And once again, that's the issue for the Habs. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, call up Cole Caulfield. Fantastic, wonderful player. You're relying on this kid for your offense. In the first game, Anderson, Josh Anderson, was the best player on the ice for either team in game one. He's disappeared. I don't know where he went. You see him, let me know. Um, yeah, this the, the, it's a combination of the Habs obviously not scoring enough and the Leafs finding their, their level and kind of getting back into that groove that they've been in for most of the year where the offense just, just clicks along. Two goals last night, but it was enough. I like the way the Habs kind of bounced back a little bit in the third and then really took it to Toronto. But Jack Campbell was absolutely brilliant in net. And if if he's not in net again tonight, then I'm going to be shocked. Jack Campbell has to be your goalie.
2: Yeah, I, I was the whole thing around the Josh Anderson. He played more, almost got 20 minutes, but they're behind in the game, right? And I know they were behind the other night, but it was a little bit out of reach, right? Game two, yeah. Anderson was the best player on the ice in game one. I I I can't figure it out. I th- I still think he's effective. I know he's not on the game sheet, but he's got that he's great still, combination he's still, Ziggy, of of size and speed, right? And yeah, I, I don't just, know where he went. Yeah, he's just tough to play against. He had six hits, but he's physical. He's tough in the corners. He he makes them a better team, and he's one of their best players. He's got to be on the ice at least twenty minutes. Um, Suzuki had 20 last night as well. The whole 15, 16 minutes for a guy like that. I, I, I think that's an issue. I don't know. I'm not sure why he wasn't getting 20 before, but he's a force out there. He'll find a way to impact the game in some way. Either he'll get a big goal like he did in the first one, or he's going to be all over the ice setting players up, creating offense Just a physical presence, and that's tough. That's tough. He's he's tough to manage when you're the Leafs, and if you're a defenseman and he's on the ice, Anderson has the whole the Reeves, Yep, Wilson effect. You're out there, you know it, and you better have your head up, and you don't want to go back for pucks. That's he makes life miserable if you're a a Leafs defenseman. Even though you know he he wasn't as effective games one and two, you're going to have an off night, and I just think Anderson's going to be. He's one of the guys. I think you have to key in on if you're the Leafs. Yeah, he, you have to have an answer for him, and and they did they did last night. He has to be game one, Josh
4: Anderson tonight for the Habs to have any chance. Like here's if, if I'm this a Habs fan, a hot take: if the Habs lose tonight, it's over. Right. Habs win tonight, then I think it does go the distance. Well, yeah, and then you got a yeah. best
1: of three, yep. and yep. the Leafs have home ice advantage yep. for it, and you're guaranteed a game six, and you're guaranteed yep. some fans in the Bell Center by the sounds of it, the way they're doing it. This this would be the other thing that scares me. I Neilander mean, was awesome again last night for the Leafs. He's got a goal in each game of this series so far. Austin scored in game two. We haven't seen the multi-goal game no. from Austin yet. And I know this isn't the regular season. But there's going to be a night here, sooner rather than later, where Austin Matthews has a breakout, for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah, And... Yeah. I mean, they scary
4: if you're a Montreal, fan. well, that's yeah. it, right? Because I mean, you you're down
1: two games to one. You've got problems on offense. Yeah. Austin you, can have
4: a night where he outscores you by himself. And you've actually, if you're the Habs, you've actually done a pretty good job of containing him. I mean, overall, like he hasn't dominated you. Like he's dominated some teams and yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keep waiting for the other shoe to drop for Austin Matthews. Ouch. Ian Tulloch of uh,
1: Maple Leafs Hot Stove is jumping into the conversation now. Ian, good to uh, hear your voice. I mean, that is a scary possibility for the Montreal Canadiens. The fact that, I mean, they're obviously having trouble scoring goals. And Austin Matthews has been very good in this series, but really hasn't had one of those Matthews-esque breakout games.
5: Yeah, and PP1 wasn't looking that great the other night either. It looked like they were having trouble gaining the zone. And even when they were set up in formation, the PK was sagging off of Mitch Marner and there wasn't much space available for the power play to create. So if they're able to get that thing clicking and Austin Matthews is scoring some goals, they're in a a lot of trouble. So I was looking at some of their lineup decisions the other night, how Thomas Tatar and Brendan Gallagher weren't playing many minutes. You could look at the fact that Alex Romanov still in the press box, despite the fact that he was their best puck mover during the regular season season there's a lot of issues if they're Montreal the Canadians right now so uh, if I'm paying close attention to that series and I'm a Habs fan I'm, I'm a bit worried right now going into game four
2: and this game's been I think they've all been physical they didn't have quite the same amount of hits they did last night on both sides but what are your thoughts on how the Leafs have handled the physical play and how they haven't really unraveled I know you had the Matthew situation where Sherratt was kind of punching him took the penalty and was laughing you know, in, in in game one and then had a little bit of the same thing in yesterday's game. How have you think the Leafs have you know handled the physical play so far of the Habs?
5: I think when you look at Matthew's reaction to some of the Ben Chirot stuff, that's kind of a perfect encapsulation of how it's been going so far. Because if you look at the actual whistle-to-whistle numbers at 5-on-5, Ben Chirot's getting drastically outplayed by Toronto's best players. I know last night, the Habs tried matching up the Philip Deneau line and the Chirot-Weber pairing against Matthews. And they got out a chance 10-5 to at even strength. And then there was one point where Paul Byron was on the first line in place of Arturi Lekkanen the scoring chances were 8-1 for Toronto in that matchup. So between the whistles, the Matthews line is doing their job. And if they want to cross-check them after the whistle, that's cool and everything. But to me, I I care about the actual play between the whistles and they're they're getting the job done in that regard. So I know the pucks haven't gone in at the rate you'd expect them to, but if you keep generating scoring chances like that, eventually the bounces will go your way. So... Again, looking at this, if I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan, I'm seeing that Ben Chirot, when he's matched up against the other team's best players, he's getting drastically outshot, drastically outchanced. He's getting attacked off the rush and giving up the line a lot in transition. So I'm wondering if injecting a bit more speed and skill into the lineup, similar to what we saw with Cole Caulfield, I'm wondering if that might be the right decision if you're Montreal to maybe bring in an Alexander Romanov into the lineup to try to inject a bit more speed, a bit more puck moving into the lineup so you can spend more time in the offensive zone.
1: With Ian Tulloch on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. How good, I mean, obviously he scored a goal in each game, so that's, that's the starting point of the conversation. But how good has William Nylander been in this series so far?
5: I think he's been excellent. And I'd also like to bring up Alex Kerfoot the other night because he's someone I've been highly critical of all season. I know I like bringing up my numbers and the fact that when he's on the ice at 5-on-5, five five, the shots and the scoring chances weren't that great this year for Alex Kerfoot. But last night when he played with Neilander, those two were excellent together. I think defensively, Kerfoot's someone that, I wasn't sure if I would trust in a second-line center role filling in for John Tavares. I thought he did a really good job, and that opens up some ice for William Nylander to come in and do what he does best. He's an excellent puck carrier who can transition the puck from D zone to O zone. I think when he's in the offensive zone and he's wheeling around on the cycle trying to find those passing lanes, that's where he's at his best. And even on the power play, I think he's been Toronto's most dangerous forward in this series. Unfortunately, he's been under 17 minutes a night in each game. So I think if you're looking long term, how do the Leafs contend for a Stanley Cup? I think Nylander needs to be getting more minutes, especially in the absence of John Tavares, because outside of Matthews and Marner, he's your best forward. And I think we could all agree that in the first few games of this series, he's been their most productive forward and He needs a a bit more minutes, I think, to get going here. I'm not sure if Alex Galchenyuk on that line has been working as well as you'd like to see. In both of his last two games, Alex Galchenyuk has zero shot attempts. I know he took that four-minute high-sticking penalty, and then in the following shift, he went offside by about 20 feet. So it's good to see Galchenyuk moving his feet. You want to see that from him, but I'm wondering if maybe they should shake up the lines a little bit just because that Kerfoot-Nylander dynamic seems to be working really well right now, and Nylander seems to be flying out there. But if you're only playing him 16 minutes and 40 seconds in a game where he's your best player, I think that's a bit of an issue. So I'll be interested to see how Keith uses him for the rest of the series. See if he can get him some more minutes, maybe on PP1, because as good as Nylander is running that second unit, I think having some more skill out there to make teams more afraid of your shot threat, whether it's from the left wall or from the middle of the ice, I think having more talent out there on the power play is what makes you scarier as a power play unit. And we know that William Nylander is a talented player. So maybe you need to get him more than 16 minutes and 40 seconds of ice time.
2: Yeah. I, I let Scotty know off the top that uh, that was one thing for me. If the guy's going to play this well, you have to get him out there. And when guys don't play well, obviously I don't mind cutting back minutes, but Nylander has been the best player on the ice for the Leafs. Uh, more, Get him out there more. Um, not a, lot of talk, not a lot of talk about defensively for the Leafs. Not, not many breakdowns, good in their own end, good through the neutral zone, not giving up much. But the one goal last night, and we were discussing Campbell, whether we thought it was a decent goal. And, you know, in our group chat last night, I just mentioned that I thought he could have gotten up tighter on Suzuki. How did you break down the one goal against
5: yeah it's funny. I was in a similar text thread with a few friends, and I was just trying to break down because i'll rewatch these goals multiple times because I want to make notes and it's it's human nature to watch a goal and instinctively want to blame somebody that's just how it works so i'm I'm watching it and yeah it's a shot from distance. you'd like to see Campbell have that, but I know one of Morgan Riley's flaws throughout his his career is that when he's defending the rush, he tends to give a a bigger gap to the opposing forward than you'd like to see so there were a couple of times he was in a one-on-one uh, defense against Nick not yeah, Nick Suzuki. He was in a one-on-one rush mm-hmm. against. And like you saw in that replay, a bit too much space. You'd like to see him close the gap a bit tighter. But the opposite side of the coin, if you're Morgan Riley, is that offensively he was maybe their best player last night. He was activating into the offensive zone. I know when he shared the ice with uh, Matthews and Marner, they were absolutely dominant at 5-on-5. Five and, five. and on the goal that Riley scored, I think it was kind of a perfect encapsulation of, what the Leafs want to do offensively when they're at their best. They get their skilled players into the offensive zone, lots of motion to create confusion for defenders that opens up passing lanes through the middle of the ice. And that's where Marner was able to find Riley for that cross-seam pass in the O-zone, gets the goalie moving laterally, and there was a lot of net for Riley to shoot at where he scored that goal. So with Morgan Riley... There are going to be some rough moments defensively. There are going to be some magical moments offensively. You, you take the good with the bad, but I think overall, it, he's a net positive, and definitely that was the case last night.
1: With Ian Tulloch on leadoff net 590, the fan. Josh Anderson, I think around this table, we all agreed, was the best player in the game in game one. Uh, since then, there really hasn't been a standout hab. Uh, based on the notes you take, uh, the data that you have, Ian... Where where would the threats from Montreal be coming from right now? Has anybody on paper performed better than they have to our eyes?
5: That's a really good question. And I'm trying to think off the top of my head just because I know in the regular season, the combination of Thomas Tatar, Philip Deneau, and Brendan Gallagher, some people like to joke that they're the analytics line because if you look at something like expected goals at 5-on-5 five five over the last few years, They've been the best line in the NHL at controlling the run of play, living in the offensive zone, despite facing some of the toughest competition in the NHL. What's weird is that Montreal's broken up that line. And last night, Philip Deneau played a lot of minutes. Uh, Josh Anderson played a lot of minutes. Nick Suzuki played a lot of minutes. But Thomas Tatar was almost a healthy scratch. He ended up playing, but he only played about 13 minutes. Brendan Gallagher only played 13 minutes. And I think there's a nagging injury there that's probably bothering him. But if you're a Habs fan and you're trying to find some kind of reason for optimism, I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but Cole Caulfield's shot threat, both on the power play and at five on five is something that they haven't had all year. I know over the last couple of years, Montreal has had positive shot metrics at five on five. They get into the offensive zone, but the problem is that a lot of their shots come from the blue line and that's great and all, but those are, those are low percentage shots. It's the equivalent of running the ball in every down in football or taking deep two pointers in the NBA. It's all right. It's cool to be good at it, but at some point, those are really low efficiency shots, and you'd like to be getting a bit closer to the net. Watching the power play the other night, it was interesting to see Cole Caulfield kind of roaming around at five on four, trying to find some open ice. And he was able to get it on their first power play unit, and he rang one off the crossbar. So, if you're Montreal and you're trying to think, how do we get back in this series? What's that one element of maybe dynamic play that we haven't been able to find yet? I think it's Cole Caulfield, and I think you need to find ways to get him into open ice because when he's open in the offensive zone, I think he's Montreal's most dangerous player right now.
1: He's at Ian Graff on Twitter. Ian Tulloch of Maple Leafs Hot Stove. Thanks, pal. We'll do this again very soon.
5: Looking forward to it. I'll have the Game 3 notes up at 8 a.m. if you want to check those out. You bet. Maple Leafs Hot Stove. All Thanks right, a lot. so
1: that's about 35 minutes away. Ian Tulloch from Maple Leafs hot stove will pivot. The blue Jays are going to call up Alec Manoa to make his major league debut and start tomorrow night. Game two of a three game series that starts tonight at Yankee stadium. Is it the right time? They need arms, but this is a kid who's only got three triple a starts. Is it the right time? We'll talk to Kevin Barker about that and just riding out this dip in the bullpen. The text lines are open. The phone lines as well. 416-870-0590. You want to bark at Barker and whine about the Blue Jays? We do it next.
3: Speed On with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.
1: That's where the uh, Blue Jays are going tonight.
2: Oh, I get it.
1: It's Kevin Barker's Jay- call. Yeah, Uh-huh. The Jays, Jays are playing the Yankees. You bet. Yeah, for three games oh, no. starting tonight, and Alec oh, yeah. Manoa is going to pitch tomorrow night.
2: Is that for sure now? Like is that locked is, in? Is well, I, I I don't think We don't the, no one really the knows.
1: The roster move has not technically been made, but Ken Rosenthal reported it yesterday and okay. I would imagine he's getting it from if not the horse's mouth, the horse's assistant's mouth and <laughs> there you have it. It's
2: it's <laughs> Is there is uh, there a like tougher <laughs> I did. Is there a tougher place to go into and start your career than or start your first, like play your first game of the season in New York, like in Yankee by Stadium. The way, like, is that... by, by
1: the way, By the way, here is Kevin Barker. Kev, answer <laughs> that
2: question.
0: Uh, not, not for Alec. It's not about that. It, it the, being twenty three. Uh, in today's game is not when I was 23 trying to play baseball. It's different. These guys are wired different. Their approaches are different. You know, if Alec doesn't try and pitch to the right side of the field or stay away from the right side of the field and just stay within himself, do what he does, right? He's got a couple of different fastballs, the 4 or the sinker. If the slider's halfway decent, you know, he doesn't throw his changeup down the middle. He'd be fine. The the bigger question is who comes in after he pitches. That's the question.
1: <laughs> and Kevin Barker is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit donvalleynorthlexus.com. And that's the 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 problem here, Kevin. And I to me the root issue is the fact that the starting rotation has had and I'm putting it this way, two and a half arms. Now, Steven Matz, I think, has been pretty good, especially considering what he went through last year with the Mets, and he was struggling to find it. But he is a guy who needs about 100 pitches to get through five innings. So on any night where he's doing that, the bullpen is going to get 12 or more outs, depending on how long the game goes. It's a It's a night where the bullpen gets used up. And then... There are two other slots in the rotation where the bullpen is thrown a ton of innings. The root issue is the starting rotation. The lifespan of the team's approach to its starting rotation, I think we figured, was six to eight weeks into the season. We're six to eight weeks into the season, and that lifespan has clearly expired. If they can't get more innings more consistently... Out of their starting pitchers, not named Ryu and Ray, we're going to continue to see what's gone on here in the last week, week and a half.
0: Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, you've got to give the Red Sox some credit. They're a pretty good team offensively. You know, they grind. Grinders are uh, makes you throw the pitch where it's supposed to be thrown. If you leave a ball in the middle of the plate, they hammer that. Do we have to get tipped their hats to the Red Sox? The Rays might be one of the best teams in baseball. You could count on one hand – you know, who might be better? if They're mainly in the national league. And if the Yankees are somewhat the Yankees with Garrett Cole in the mound, you could argue that other than that, you know, who, who's better than the race? Well, uh, who runs the bases better than the race? Who, who grinds out at bats, right? But they are 2021. 20, they hit home runs. They strike out a bunch. What did they do? They, they hit seven home runs. They struck out 45 times. They walked 25 times. That could be the key right there. Uh, they have enough quality at bats that they make you either throw the ball down the middle or they walk. That, that's, that's what they do. That's who they are. And, oh, by the way, they pitch better than most humans can pitch, right? It, it's going to Castu- Castillo, Fairbanks, Kittredge, Thomas, Thompson, Springs. Uh, this uh, Firehizer guy,
1: yeah. guy is going to be the next, like, Kent to Colby or something like he's uh, yeah he's he he was kind of a guy in milwaukee they make a trade for him last week and i'm sure they're going to turn him into mariano rivera Okay,
0: it's you you know what? It's not. It's not Piamps, Castro, Bergen, Cole, Beasley, Tim Mesa, who should never, in my mind, be pitching. You know, in highest leverage spots. That's the difference. Kevin Cash can go to all the names that I just mentioned, which are different arm angles, quality stuff. Different. You know, can throw a secondary pitch when they want to, and then what the Blue Jays have to go to is not. And it puts pressure on everything else. And can Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, basically live in a tree the entire season? And, and, and I don't want to say carry this team. I want to say, you know, he's in an airplane carrying the team. Can he do that all year? It's a lot to ask when you don't have George Springer and you don't have Barucky and you don't have Phelps and – it, it's a lot to ask. This is this was a little bit of a gut punch for the Blue Jays. And, oh, by the way, you know, the four games there were more of a home series for the Rays than it was for the Blue Jays. That's a little sad. You know, thank goodness they're out of that stadium and they can at least go to a halfway decent rebuilt, you know, as close as you can get to a big league stadium in, Dun- in, in Buffalo now. Maybe they'll have a home field advantage a little bit. That's a big deal for a young lineup. Who, who doesn't want to be rooted for? Instead of be, you know, the, the, who, the Rays. He's actually had a home field advantage in Dunedin, which is a little odd for me. So, you know, you, you wipe those clean. Maybe this guy coming in up in Alec Manoa can give them a little bit of a boost. I'm not saying he's going to come up and pitch seven innings. That's a lot to ask. But maybe he can come up and give you five shutout innings and punch out ten guys. Maybe he could do that and add a little swagger and a little confidence, a little maybe uh, cockiness, which is a little bit of what they need on the mound. They need that guy to go, I'm here. It's my mound. See if you can come and hit it. And maybe he's the guy
2: Why does Jordan Romano only pitch one inning? Like, can he pitch more? What did he have? uh, Fifteen pitches last night, three strikeouts. What is the re? Is it either is are they worried about him getting injured again, or is it just the analytics? Where hey, he's good for one inning, and once he goes two, he's ineffective.
0: I say it's a combination of a lot of things, and he did throw 12 pitches and nine strikes. looked like an easy 99 to me. I'm running back out there. Desperate times, desperate mess. mess, uh, You want to do different things, right? Who would you rather have in the 10th inning, Romano or Castro? That's an easy answer for me. You, You threw 12 pitches. I know you haven't done it all year. I know you haven't went two innings all year. Okay, I need you to do it right now. Go, go out there get this guy out come give our lineup a chance to come and win a game that we haven't won in a while that, that that's what you do right you got to push no a little bit more you got to push chatwood a little bit more actually if you're the manager when you go out to to the mound and your best reliever has had issues throwing strikes 22 pitches nine strikes he was throwing right in that one game instead of just going out and, and wanting the ball and bringing in travis bergen at least let the pitcher on the mound talk you out of it that's the one thing right 2021 i know the binder says what it says that the guy i stand on the on deck circle doesn't like a left-hander and i got a left-hander loose that has an invisible there's 91 miles an hour who has really never been in a situation and i'm about to put him in my best reliever standing on the mound struggling who is a one sinker or a one cutter away from getting out of this how about having a little confidence in a guy and letting him talk you out of it? And I, I just, that that was very disappointing coming from Charlie. I understand why he did it, and that's what they do now in 2021, right? It's, you're relaying the message. That's basically what you're doing. But occasionally, you raise your hand and go, hey, the guy that I want is there already. Let's stick with that.
1: Well, let, if we go back a couple of days to the Chatwood struggles in the ninth inning and the decision to go to Travis Bergen, but didn't have it, okay? And But the bases were loaded and there were two outs. Uh-huh. Like, even when a pitcher doesn't have it, there's still a better than 50-50 chance that he's going to get the hitter out. Now, if he can walk him on four straight pitches, that changes everything. And, yeah. uh-huh. but, but still a better than 50-50 shot. <laughs> the issue with going to Bergen is multiple fold for me. Chatwood has been brilliant for you. He deserves the opportunity to work out of it. He deserves the opportunity to try to lock that game down while he still has the lead. That's number one. Number two is Travis Bergen doesn't have a lot of experience at the big league level and has not shown, in terms of stuff or anything else, closer Like, he doesn't look like a closer. He's not, he doesn't profile for me as a closer. The third part of it, Kevin, is that we're not living in the world that was 2019 and before anymore. We're living in the 2020 and beyond world where you got to face a minimum of three batters in the same half inning. So bases loaded, two outs. You bring in Bergen for the lefty-lefty matchup. If you don't get Austin Meadows... You can't have a loogie situation where you head back out, lift Bergen and go to Cole or Romano or somebody else. You got to yeah. sit there and suffer while well, he tries to go after Margot. And then when he doesn't get Margot and you've fallen behind, you got to sit there and s- suffer while well, he tries to pitch Debrasso, who's a noted lefty masher. Oh, and he didn't throw him any strikes either. And boom, the game explodes on you.
0: I- yeah. To add, to add to that too, didn't <clears throat> excuse me, it didn't seem like that Romano was was uh, available. That's the one thing, too. He, he obviously so needed a Stay with Chatwood. He, he needed a day. Oh. 1,000%. Even if it had worked, <clears throat> the optics of the whole thing, when Charlie's walking out and he basically told him to stop, don't come out here, you could read his lips, and then he turned his head to look in the bullpen to see if it was Romano or not. And when it's not Romano, that's what I said. The manager could put his hand over his mouth. I know he's wearing a mask, but he can still put it over his mouth and go, hey, this is what the binder's telling me, that the guy on the on-deck circle doesn't like a left-handed pitcher. I don't want to bring that guy in. But that's what the binder's telling me. Talk me out of it. You've thrown nine strikes and 22 pitches. You don't look like you got it, but you are one pitch away. Talk me out of it. that That's the only thing, right? You could have had a little bit of a conversation before you just put your hand out, hand the ball to him, and he has to walk off. Uh, There's got to be one of those little moments throughout an entire season that our team's struggling my best guy is on the mound i understand what he looks like right now but he is a sinker away from getting a weak ground ball to the second baseman they get out of that with a win right that they were the first game right uh, one hit away from winning that game then they were a bullpen away from winning the the third game and then we saw what yesterday if they if they pitch a little bit better they could have won that game so it's It's just – everything's got to work together, right? When you don't have your best player in George Springer, you don't have some key arms in the bullpen, you got to lean on some people. Have some faith in them.
1: Does Charlie – and there's no way to know this because, I mean, we're not – we don't have access to these guys to even ask the question beyond just Zoom. But is that the sort of situation where the next day, i.e. yesterday, he's got to call Chatwood into his office and just say, hey, dude, look, I mean – stay with me here? Or or can if you're Chatwood, can you flush that? Because you got every right to be angry.
0: Yeah, well, you, you could see. I don't know if you were watching the game, but I was. You could see him throwing his hands up, Chatwood, on the bench, and he was basically m- mouthing that that's supposed to be me out there. If I'm going to give it up, let me give it up. I, I have good enough stuff. I was having trouble with my pitches. I wasn't throwing them where I wanted to throw them. I have three different fastballs. Occasionally, I'm not going to grip it right, and it ain't going to go where I want it to go, but i was still in it. I think that's the thing here occasionally. I, I get it. Uh, all of these stats and all this analytic stuff, it, it's a good thing. But occasionally, you got to go, does it make sense to bring in Travis Bergen? I... Uh, it, it it just it's one of those it's again it's one of those things when you don't have the key guys you know it, i know if barucky was there it would not have been travis burkin it would have been ryan barucky that would have been a thousand percent better and that's what tyler chatwood was telling you when he was walking out and he took the big long peek down to the bullpen to go who is that getting loose and then he saw who it was and he he has a right to go I've earned the right to be out here. I've earned the right to stay here. At least I've earned the right to have the conversation with you. And he did.
2: I want to circle back to Manol for a bit here and Ross Atkins' comments on how well he's done away from the field. And I understand what he's saying. He doesn't really dig into the uh-huh. details, but is is it something similar to like what they're doing, what, what's going on with Pearson? What, and I, what I mean by that is Pearson struggled um, obviously, and when you see a young guy trying to go through adversity, he has and he can't battle through that, then you have an issue. But a guy like Manoa, he seems like there's more confidence there and that's a guy that can battle through adversity and he'd be better in the clubhouse around the team. Is there any kind of situation where Manoa's different than Pearson in that respect?
0: That's a great question. I, you know, with COVID, I have no idea. I, I haven't been around yeah. him. the The, the studs, starts there, the pitches that I have seen him throw is on YouTube and Zoom, and trying to get information from coaches that have been around him, trying to get information from Pete Walker. I, the, the question you got to ask yourself: He he's never really failed. I, I look back in, at West Virginia. He's he's always been a guy that can overpower you with a fastball. Can he do that at the big league level? We're seeing some of the pitches that he was throwing at the minor league level are center cut. They may be vertical, up and down, but they're basically center cut. Can he get away with that at the big league level? That's the one thing. The slider's not great. The changeup's not great. He is a fastball first guy and does it with a lot of attitude and the cocky thing on the mound. Can he get through some quality innings doing it that way in the American League East and at the big league level? We have no idea. I could get on here and tell you all the things he can do mechanically. He is six six two sixty. Takes a lot, right, to get all of that thing in tune and, and to be able to throw a strike and strike one and expand with a secondary pitch and get back an account with a secondary pitch and get good finish on your pitches and all these things. Six six. So that will be one key for him. I know he's tried to simplify it by having the stretch, which I don't like. I, I think every good starting pitcher has to have some deception and has to have some finish. And having a windup will help you do both of those things. But who am I? What, what do I know about pitching? It, it, it will be a very interesting thing to see. If he is overthrowing a little bit the first 25 pitches – if he can use something just to get it back in, it could be anything moving a little bit on the rubber, taking a little bit off his fastball, uh, flipping a breaking ball, using his changeup grip. You know, it'll be an interesting thing to see how he gets back in that. But look, I would rather see him than no offense, Trent Thornton, no offense, Pyamps, no offense, whoever else you want to pick. I'd rather see Alec Manoa than those guys.
1: A stripling, throw his name in there, although he was excellent yesterday. For, it was. Yeah, it was good. It was, good. Yeah. it was.
0: It was time to see it too. I feel. I feel for him. He's the one guy. I don't know if you've ever listened to his Zoom.
1: Brilliant. Uh, like a smart guy. Good dude. Yeah.
0: How he just basically says, you know, I haven't been one of those guys that will make a bunch of changes, but a seven ERA will make you make things different and you know he's added he's tweaked his windup. obviously he, he's always i think had a wind up when he was with the dodgers and he didn't really like it so he he kicked it to the side and he simplified it a little bit more to stay w- within the rubber now he's moved his hands down he thought he was tipping his pitches a little bit with his hands further away from his body uh you know i think it's more about location but it, it's a mindset if he thinks it it's it, it has to be right right and and now he's a little bit closer he can get his his hand out of his glove a little bit uh, uh more consistent in the same spot all the time, which will have his misses a little bit better. The quality of his pitches, you know, you throw strike one, you don't throw a ball down the middle. Can he do that? Those things consistently. And oh, by the way, he, he his next start is against the Indians, who who offensively is not the greatest of teams. So if he just keeps them in it, gives them a chance, you know, I think I think all of these things are going to be for naught, and it's going to be tough until they can get George back, they can get Baruchy back, maybe Phelps can come back in the next month or so and then you're playing with a full deck, and then you can throw it out there and see where you rank in the American League.
1: So Alec Manoa starts tomorrow night. Thomas Hatch could be up with the Blue Jays soon. We'll get Kevin's thoughts on him. This could be another rotation piece, but he's a young kid, and he doesn't have a lot of big league experience, and we haven't heard much about George Springer of late, we do know he's traveling with the team, and when he's ready, we'll go out on a minor league rehab assignment. Man, this has taken a while. Uh, we'll get into both of those topics with Kevin Barker, who's with us until the top of the hour. Barker, Barker on the text line to five ninety five ninety. This is from Enio in Richmond Hill. Is Montoyo the right manager for the Blue Jays as ah. they try to compete for the playoffs? This this is like this is a question I see all the time on social media, Kev. I
0: yeah. Uh, Uh-oh. Here, here, I, you look, I, I don't know if I know the answer to that. Has he made some, you know, some decisions occasionally that'll make you shake your, your head about, you know, again, gets back to that Chatwood thing. Again, it gets back to, okay, do it, does he have the ability or the, the lenience to be able to make a change that the binder doesn't say? That's the question. I'm not real sure that the answer to that is yes, but when you don't have George Springer, when you don't have Barucky, you don't have Phelps, you don't have uh, Merriweather, uh, it's real hard to judge a guy when he doesn't have his best guys when he has to go again to Pyamps, Castro, Bergen, Cole, Beasley. Who? Jeremy Beasley? No offense, Jeremy Beasley, but you're not Barucki. You're not Phelps. And Dolise, quite frankly, has come back and, and for whatever reason doesn't want to throw his best pitches. Chat with you know they're not leaning on him, Romano, who knows you know it's kid gloves. kid's gloves, so it it's I can understand because they ran into one of the best teams, in the American league. Right, And maybe in baseball, in the race, who puts pressure on every one of your weaknesses. If you can't hold a runner on, what are they going to do? They're going to run around the bases forever. You know, uh, Rosa Rania what's he do? He's taking bases because the ball just bounces right in front of Danny Jansen. They're really good at running the bases. They're really good at pitching. They're really good at getting a pitch down the middle. They're really good at hitting home runs. Look, it's 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 one of those things that will tell you exactly where your team and where your organization's at. It'll be interesting to see what Ross Atkins does. Does he see exactly what we see, and is he going to try and go out and fix it?
2: And that's the question, right? What, yeah. what, do, what does management need to see out of this team to go out and spend resources on pitching, getting a, 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 a number two, a number three guy in the rotation? Like, one, it's not out there, and I think it's too expensive right now. But the second part of it is, is, do we have the team to do it? But And then the other thing is, there's so many guys injured, George Springer hasn't even, has yeah. barely played. Like, why would you go out and make these moves if you have so many guys injured, your best player is on the IL, and you don't know what you really have with your young guys, right? Like, we obviously, Vladdy's having, he's one of the best hitters in the league. He's in the top three hitters. But how can you go out and make moves for pitching if this isn't the year? Why would you spend resources?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, well, I I ask uh, Mark Shapiro when they knew it was time to go, and he said winning. They're up mm-hmm. until the la- up until the last six games. They've been winning. Okay, yeah. I, I understand it's early in the season, and and you don't have some of your best players, but you could add you can mix in some pieces and and not have to use certain guys in highest leverage spots. Again, you you, you think about w- what they were using in the last couple of innings when it just who you're handing the baseball to. It's 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 just a lot to ask a manager. It's a lot to ask a pitching coach to think so much ahead to try and put the guys in the best positions to succeed, and on top of that, to help your team win baseball games it's impossible and I know by the way Bo was two for 19 you know he come up in some big spots and then the over swinging and he hasn't been real good against the Rays there's probably a reason for that the Rays have figured something out they'll add subtract they elevate you know they make it look like a strike better than most teams can make it look like a strike he's a wild swinger he has a giant leg kick the head moves a lot when the head moves a lot the ball moves a lot, and a really good pitching rotation and a really good you know, bullpen can can get him to chase, and that's what they did. And and right now, because of all the pieces that they're missing, the big three in the middle of the order have to be hot all the time. If one's not hot, it takes away from the other guy because I can get you out. Now I can pitch around you, and I'll take my chances with you. And that all the time doesn't work, and that's what you're sort of seeing from the Blue Jays. I
1: mean, if, if they're going to trade for a starting pitcher this year, Kev, it's a guy with – control beyond this year because because it's not just to help you this year and maybe get into a wild card spot it's we know we're going to be good next year and this guy's going to help us right yeah he, yeah i guess i guess. Who, who
0: would that be like well, that, that's the, that's the great question well, is right Barrios
1: the- in minnesota is is castillo's issues in cincinnati something that can be fixed i mean he was brilliant last year he's had a couple of really nice years he's been absolutely horrible for Cincinnati this year. Mm-hmm. But that's got to be fixable. I mean, it, it can't be a fluke that he was a really good pitcher for two or three seasons going through what he's going through now. Yeah,
0: the small ballpark, you know, the, the, the great American small park that, that's in, <laughs> in Cincinnati, that, that could be an issue, right? You know, he's aiming his changeup instead of throwing his changeup. That's what it looked like to me. Again, I, I I haven't watched every single one of his outings, but the, the couple that I have watched looks like he's aiming some stuff. When you aim stuff at the big league level, you're going to get hammered. And that's why he's got an ERA of over seven, you know, could, could come into. The American League East is not the easiest place to reinvent yourself as a pitcher, Ross Stripling. So it's, you know, it's, it's, can Pete Walker enough to to get him back in line to, to, you know, pounding down in the zone and using his best pitch to change up? I'm not real sure of that. It's very hard to trade a prospect and a big leaguer for a guy with a a 70, over a 70 RA. That's a, a tough sale. So it's, you know, you know, management is in a big spot. Do, do you start calling up big-time prospects, or are you going to get something from Nate Pearson? You know, Nate Pearson. For me, every time I watch him, you know, it doesn't look like he believes. You have to believe that you're good. If you if you don't believe, nobody else is going to believe it, and it's it's this will be an interesting thing to see when George comes back and he's leading off, that takes pressure off of Bo, then Vladdy will be better, Teoscar Hernandez can get settled in, Randall Gritchick is his thing, Marcus Simeon's hitting six. All of a sudden, you're putting tons of pressure because your lineup's a little bit longer, it takes a little bit of pressure off your bullpen, at least the middle part of your bullpen, right? Delisa's going to figure it out. He's a halfway decent pitcher. He's going to figure it out, right? Chatwood hopefully can continue to throw the elevated fastball at 97 miles an hour, the sinker and the cutter, and and all those pitches are good. Hopefully they stick with him. But Romano, this for me. This is the one guy. They're gonna have to lean on a little bit more occasionally. You gotta walk up to him and go, "Hey, can you give me another any?" I get what it says. I get what the HP department's telling us. But right now, we're gonna need a little bit more from you, especially with all the the things that they don't have. It's time to step up. Put your big boy pants on. Go, go. Ask your your trainer or your 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 the guy in the clubhouse that takes care of the clubhouse. Go, hey, I want the biggest uh, pair of pants you got because I need them. And let's, let's put them on and let's go out there and, and roll up our sleeves and get after some people.
1: Thomas Hatch could be up on the weekend uh, to fill a rotation spot. And, uh, look, at, at this point, they should be trying anything, Kev. But it it's a big ask to just say, hey, Thomas Hatch, you have a handful of Major League games of experience, uh, you coming off an injury, uh, just slide in and help us solve our problems. In hey, the very you- same way, it's a tough ask for Manoa.
0: They're in a do tough you, spot. Realistically, do you think either one of those guys are going to consistently give you six innings in the American League East? The American League, with all the guys trying to hit home runs and establish the secondary pitches, it's it's a tall order. It still doesn't hide the fact that the middle of your bullpen is not real good, right? So, look, Thomas Hatch is great. You'd rather have him in the big leagues than the minor leagues. That's that's great because you can bring him in after an opener, which maybe will hide some of the, the faults that you have at the bullpen. Maybe you could leave him in the bullpen. There's many ways because he is a hard thrower and he locates. That's the one thing he can do is he can locate. He can throw quality pitches. Maybe you can maximize that, but I'm with you. It's a, it's a tall order. they got they got to somehow – with a lot of these teams, a lot of these games win ten to seven. Do you mm-hmm. realistically think all year they can do that? That's no. the question. I I said I I still think they're a ninety win team, but they got to clean up some things.
1: Well, uh, do the math on it, Kev. Like Barucky, Phelps, and Merriweather being out. Let's just, for the sake of argument, say that that is nine outs every second night on average. Yeah. Like that is, by my math. 36 outs a week like that's that's a game and a third of baseball
0: that that is missing
1: uh, from high leverage relief right now
0: yeah yeah you're well you're exactly right but don't forget now they still have 19 games against the Orioles they got six games against Detroit they got six games against Seattle and if I told you right I said there's 44 games that they have to go 34 and 10 to have a chance in the other 56 games, right? That, that, that's the, the – the, how do you attack the bad teams? What How did the Rays get on this hot streak? They, they beat up the Mets, who wasn't real good at the time they were playing, the Mets, and they beat up the Orioles. That's what the Blue Jays have to do. Right. The Blue Jays have to take advantage of super bad teams and try and play somewhere around 500 against the really good teams. If they do that – at least in September, we're gonna me and you are gonna be coming on this show, and I'm gonna be coming on Baseball Central with Blair talking about they're in it, they're one piece away, right? Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is fighting for an MVP. Look at Bo, he's got 30 homers. Marcus Simeon's got 30 homers. Short Springer's back, to, back going back leg city consistently. At least we'll have a lot of fun talking about the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, and, and we'll probably be talking about a Tampa Bay Rays
1: player named Bob Smith, who's magically come up and hit 65 home runs. Like just God, the Rays drive me nuts, but you got to tip your cap. We'll do this do. again on Thursday, pal. Always fun. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good day. Everybody. Kevin Barker co-host with Jeff Blair at baseball central two to three each and every day here on Sportsnet five ninety the fan. He has been brought to you by Don Valley, North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit Don Valley, North Lexus.com. Leafs, Habs, Game four tonight off the Leafs 2-1. Game three victory last night. Leafs with a two games to one series lead. We're all over it with Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette. David Amber later in the hour. Mike Zeisberger of NHL.com next. Here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff Sportsnet 590. The fan Morgan Riley had the game winner. William Nylander, Uh, his third goal of the series. The Maple Leafs beat the Habs 2-1 to take a two games to one series lead. They'll do it again game four. In Montreal tonight, Kyle Connors, second of the series at the 6.52 mark of the third overtime period, paced the Jets past the Oilers 4-3, Winnipeg with the four-game sweep. All four games, essentially one goal games, three overtime games, and the Oilers lost game one by a goal plus a couple of empty netters. So it was a close series, but that's still not enough. McDavid, dry saddle. I mean, Edmonton's got a lot of soul searching to do. The New York Islanders needed overtime. Feels like almost every game's going to overtime. Islanders three, Pittsburgh two. That's also the score of the series now. As uh, Josh Bailey's third of that first round series wrapped things up, the Islanders with a chance to clinch the series on home ice tomorrow night. Florida survived a 4-1 win over Tampa Bay on home ice. Bolts lead the series three games to two that series heading back to tampa bay and the minnesota wild survived with a 4-2 win in vegas vegas with a three games to two series lead that series going back to saint paul the blue jays were swept in a wraparound four game set by tampa bay it was an extra innings game so it was closer than the final score indicated 14 to 8 tampa bay over the blue jays Toronto starts a three-game series in New York against the Yankees tonight on Sportsnet 590. The fan and Sportsnet 1 first pitch a little after 7 o'clock. Steven Matz will have the ball for Toronto tonight. Alec Manoa will come up and make his Major League debut for the Blue Jays tomorrow night. NBA playoffs. Bucks 132, Hawks 98. Milwaukee wins both home games to take a two-games-to-none series lead in that Eastern Conference first-round matchup. And the Nuggets Get the split at home with a 128-109 win over Portland. The Trailblazers securing a home court advantage with a game one win in that series. And now I'll take a breath. And I'll do that by uh, welcoming to the program from NHL.com. And long time on the Maple Leaf beat, Mike Zeisberger is here. Always fun to catch up, Zeis. The morning Good after morning. the night Hi. before with another game tonight. How you doing?
6: not too bad it would have would have been a little fresher if uh you know the oilers and the jets would have been nice and finished in regulation but uh i mean you know before we get to the least game thanks for having me on guys i mean that is a hell of a series i mean that overtime i think darnell nurse is still on the ice like it was ridiculous uh he played over half the game and uh you know i i gotta think and i know that uh you know Ken Holland is part of that Canadian Olympic team uh, hierarchy um but you know defense is an area for the Canadian Olympic team that's uh you know there's some debate about some players there and I really think that uh, Darnell Nurse is really put it has really put himself on that on the kind of radar for the Canadian Olympic team this season
1: yeah that's the third most ice time logged in a single game since they started keeping track of that 62 minutes and 7 seconds last night and he's been a hell of a player for them and, and they get clefbaum back next year. Hopefully he can be healthy and they've, they've got the makings, uh, or a good foundational pieces of a good back end. The problem those eyes is like, it's another year of Connor McDavid's prime wasted and you read it a lot. You hear it a lot. Most people believe this Oilers team is still at least a couple of years away from being a true contender like they they got they got some soul searching to do, and they got some tough decisions to make they gotta figure out who their long term goaltender is, and they gotta decide whether to bring in uh, Nugent Hopkins back
6: well and and you know what guys you you think about this for a second um and I, I I you know correct me if I'm wrong here, I believe Connor Mcdavid has won or the Oilers have won one playoff series in the connor Mcdavid era, so if you look at that. Between Austin Matthews, who obviously is still playing, the the least leading the Montreal Canadiens 2-1 in their series, but between Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid, who, you know, one guy is probably going to win the heart. One guy won the Rocket Richard. They've won one playoff series between the both of them, and I realize that they're still relatively young. But like you said, um, you know, these guys are, you know, if not at then approaching the primes of their career. And, you know, I'm sure people in Edmonton are like, you know, what people in Toronto were like last year after the loss to Columbus, just shaking their head going like, uh, are we, like you said, are we wasting, um, you know, kind of the, the window of opportunity with these two guys. And it you know what? I mean, it just, it's a cliche, but it just shows you how much of a team game this is when, arguably two of the two best players. I would put Nathan McKinnon in there and Sidney Crosby as well, but two of the top five players in hockey um, have one playoff series win between them.
2: When do you think people start asking questions about McDavid and dry in a sense of, you know, are these guys more than just regular season, great players? I, I know McDavid for me is going to go down, as the greatest player I've ever seen play, but we know what happens until players win. I throw Ovechkin in there, throw Steve Eisenman in there, right? These were, those were another two of the all time greatest, but yeah. we don't talk about them until they, until they want anything. But are we entering that time right now where it's like, okay, McDavid's been great during the regular season, dry cycle, but they have to win at some point. Are they're just going to go down as really good players?
6: Well, I mean, I, I I will say that I have a lot of faith in Kenny Holland to the GM of the Edmonton Oilers. I think he knew what he was getting into. Um, you know, there were a lot of questions because, because of salary cap issues at the trade deadline. Could Edmonton have done more? But, uh, you know, uh, I do know that Kenny Holland looked at it and said, you know, this isn't the year yet, uh, maybe next year. So let's see how his plan goes. I'm sure in Edmonton right now there's a lot of uh, – Hand ringing and, and, and panic um, among the fan base, and, and rightfully so. I don't think you pull the plug uh, yet, but you know there, there's a couple of positions. Like there, there was a play last night, I believe it was on the uh, time goal, but um, Ethan Bearer who's he's still a young, a very very young player, um, and still learning, and especially on defense, which is you know you ask coaches. I remember Paul Maurice saying, as a defenseman. Uh, he never really kind of gauged how a young defenseman was going to play until I think he said there's something like 160, 170 NHL games. So we'll see how that goes. But even there, they were nursing a, a one-goal lead, just fires a pass up the gut in his own zone in the third period. I mean, that, that's just things that you learn, but you cannot have happen Um Mm-hmm. And so the development of guys like that is going to play, to me, um, is going to play a big factor in which direction Edmonton goes. I mean, yes, there's going to be a lot of questions about Greisaitl uh, and, and, uh, and McDavid, um, kind of like there were, you know, last year about Matthews and Larner. And, and um, mm-hmm. But you, you knew they weren't going anywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. And right now, I mean, I don't think, I, I think it's pretty safe to say that those two guys, McDavid and, and uh, Drysider, are, are, are staying put. That's, uh, you yeah, know, I'm not going on a limb for that, but I mean, you you watched that game last night. I mean, I, I don't think they, it was almost like, like nurse. They never came off during the overtime. So, uh, uh, you know, it, it wasn't from a lack of effort, but you know, Edmonton, ha- Edmonton has some words, too. I mean, when you're starting goalie in the playoffs at 39, and I'm not blaming Mike Smith for what happened by any means, but uh, certainly you got to look at him and say, is this a guy that we think we can win with for the next two or three, four years? And, and once again, that's another issue uh, that, that, that the Edmonton Oilers have to address.
1: With Mike Zeisberger of NHL.com on leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan. So I have felt like a pretty confident Leafs fan throughout this series I've liked the matchup with Montreal game one was difficult with what happened to Tavares and then obviously they didn't win a uh, Nick Foligno didn't play last night so they've they've taken a hit like a significant hit to their forward depth yet they grinded it out last night Zyes, and if I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan and I can tell you this I'll be dead and buried before I long dead and buried before I ever consider that but if I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan the one thing that would worry me most is that for as well as he's played Austin Matthews hasn't had that breakout game yet and I I I just wonder if it's coming soon right and and if it does this series could be over pretty quick
6: No, you're, listen, you're absolutely right. He hasn't. uh, Although, you know, game two was, you could argue uh, that it was one of, if not the finest all around games that he played his 200 foot game and and, uh, the way that he's initiating body contact. But, yeah, I mean, offensively and and from a goal scoring point of view, um, you're just kind of waiting for him to explode. I think you know a couple things. Number one, we talked about the Edmonton Oilers and and, and their issues. You know, I think last night's game is a sign of maturity uh, of this Maple Leafs core because you know in in playoffs past those were t- the type of games that the Leafs didn't win. Maybe they were a little boring at times. Uh, you know, the suffocating defense until the third period, which I think they they took their foot off the gas a little bit and. Uh, Almost paid the price for it, but just in the style that that they played I mean you know like I said uh from a for excitement level, it didn't match uh the Oilers or the jets, but you know what a win is a win, and I thought they played um, the type of hockey that you have to play now uh, you know it's a privilege that i'm I'm the table setter for uh for my friend Stu Cowan and uh, obviously David Amber later on and they could they could speak to this but when I look at the Montreal Canadians, the one thing and I've said this for for the last year for the last few years who you know who on their roster offensively is the type of guy that when you're a coach and you look at the Montreal side and you go, "We are scared of this guy um and I know there's only a, enough you know a handful of Austin Matthews to go around so they're not they don't have a guy like that but I mean, for all the Cole Caulfield hoopla, and I thought he played a hell of a game last night, and you really uh, recognized when he was on the ice, but he's um, a 20-year-old guy that you could say arguably was was, was Montreal's most dangerous player last night. And, uh, you know, they have four goals in nine periods. I know Carey Price said after the game that he's not discouraged, that he believes in these guys, but... Uh, I I just, when I look at the Montreal Canadiens, you, you guys talk about, you know, earlier in the segment, uh, we discussed the window of opportunity with certain players. Well, what about, what about Carey Price? I mean, this guy has stood on his head. Um, I think Jason Spets is still having nightmares of that stick save, uh lunging stick mm-hmm. save that Price made last night. So, but, you know, on the other side of things, like I said, who has been that dynamic offensive forward for the Montreal Canadiens, a, a star forward in the last decade, in the last two decades, that op- op- opponents would be uh, fearful of. Um, and that's not to take anything away from a guy like Suzuki or Toffoli, because they are very, very good offensive players. But, um, you know, I, I think that that's been a, something that's been lacking for the Canadians in a long time. And, you know, I, I think that, that plays into the effectiveness of, of the Maple Leafs defensive game that, um, you know, there's not that one guy that can give you that wow moment um, on a consistent basis like we know the guys like Matthews and Martyr can on the other side.
2: Yeah, my only I was telling Scotty this earlier. My only guess is that you don't want to hang the hopes of your season on you, a young kid or your top prospect who hasn't played a lot. At this yeah. level, and it's his first game. That's the way I see it. Like, I think he's the biggest threat for the Canadians. I'm with I'm with you that I, I just I don't think there's anyone else. Like, yes, I love Tofoli Suzuki, big goal, but Anderson is big and strong and can overpower a game. But the uh, Caulfield, I think, for young guys in the league, never mind just Canadians. I think he's I think he's one of the best young guys. Um, but that's just kind of I I feel like that's more coaching management where it's like, do we want to put our whole season on this right
6: no i agree and uh you know you could yeah, i mean listen um if they you know it, it was an injection an injection of adrenaline when you when you watch the way that the canadians played when he was out there i mean he was creating stuff he was he was uh you know uh i, I can't say he created a buzz in the building because there were there's mm-hmm. no uh fans yet i mean we get that in game 6 if uh in montreal if uh if they get that far i believe 2500 or so uh, will be allowed into the building but uh yeah you know but it just seems like the the rest of the team for and part of this goes to the leafs but um most of the remainder of the team offensively speaking uh they were moribund for the first two periods and and here's a stat guys that jumps out at me um you know, you want to know those turning points in games. Uh, if you look at the second period of the last two games, both Maple Leafs victories, not only are the Maple Leafs outscored uh, the Montreal Canadiens by a four to one margin, but the shots on goal, if you take the past two second periods, are forty to fourteen in favor of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now. Um, you know, some people may not believe in the in the stat of shots on goal. They they want to delve into it deeper. But listen, when it's 40 to 14, I think that's a pretty uh, clear margin uh, or indication of how tilted the ice is. So uh, Montreal is looking for warts that they have to, uh, you know, that they have to address. I think that the way that they've come out in the second periods now. Now, granted, they have penalty problems in the in the game too, but that's. You know, that's on them. Um, but uh, but the way they played in the second period uh, has just not been good. And I think it's set the tone for both those games.
1: Uh, Zyze, we got like 30 seconds. So a, a quick answer from you here. The troll poll this morning on Twitter. Who should play or who should start in goal for the Leafs tonight? And of course, the, the background of this is that Jack Campbell did not play on consecutive nights all season long and very clearly was nursing an injury even after he did come back, would you straight up go to Jack? 78% of respondents, we got a lot of them saying yes. And, you know, my answer might have been different before the series. I say Jack Campbell's got to play tonight if he's feeling good.
6: Yeah, no, I I agree. I think it's a slam dunk. Um, but you have to put the caveat in there that you did. If he's feeling good, okay? If there's a chance that, you know, it doesn't take much to aggravate whatever kind of injury he's nursing. Um, you know, we believe it to be, if you go by earlier in the year, lower body or that, then it then it's 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 an issue. If 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 you know that could keep him out for a chunk of time. But if he is anywhere near relatively healthy, he's got to start. You got to go with the guy that brought you here and the the guy that's you know backstop. You do two to one lead. I think that's an easy answer.
1: Thanks, uh, Zyze. It's always good to have you on, and uh, set your alarm early. We'll call you again next week.
6: Let's, let's talk soon, guys. Have a great show, and uh, like I said, a couple great guests coming up, in uh, Stu Cowan and uh, David Amber, so everybody warm up your copies and listen.
1: Okay, well, we'll, we'll now Stu is going to come on here. We'll see if he has something nice to say about you. All right, well, we'll do the little we'll do the little trade off <laughs> here, huh? Mike Zeisberger of NHL.com. He hung up. I like it. Here's <laughs> He's like, Stu Account. <laughs> Here's Stu Account of the Montreal Gazette. You want to say something nice about Zeis or? Yeah, Zeis
7: is a great guy. <laughs> I was reading the last night, looking forward to the day uh, I can get together and have uh, have a couple of
1: beers with him. Again oh somewhere. God, McLean's or somewhere like that, right? Somewhere, exactly. somewhere, exactly. somewhere around the Bell Center. All right, so I mean, what's your sense from? From the Montreal perspective of, of where this is at, Stu, their issues that cropped up throughout the regular season are on full display now, which is, I mean, they're not scoring enough and, and one could argue they're not getting enough grade A scoring chances either.
7: Yeah, well, never mind this series. This goes back a long way. I was doing some math uh, last night. The last 63 playoff games I have... So, uh, sorry, the last 31 playoff games I have I played since uh, 2015, they've scored 63 goals. So this goes way, way back. This is the thing with Carey Price. Uh, it's sort of a... Groundhog Day Canadians in the playoffs. Gary Price plays amazing, and his team can't score enough goals, and the Canadians lose. So this just continues and continues and continues. I did a column in today's paper, and the last time the Canadians had a score in the top 10 in NHL scoring was Matt Snazlin in 1986. And since the Habs uh, won their last cup in 93, uh, I think there's two guys who have finished in the top 25 in scoring. So this is a, this is a team that just hasn't had offense forever. I and mean, when you think this is, you know, the Montreal Canadiens, the old flying Frenchman, uh, 24 Stanley Cups, uh, they can't put the puck in the net now. And it's not just this playoff series. It's been a problem for a long, long time, And including on the power play. Uh, you know, the Leafs have been struggling on the power play, and you sort of shake your head, or at least I do, wondering how they can't score on the power play with that talent they have and the way they throw the puck around and on the opposite end, you watch the Canadians and it's pretty easy to understand why their power play is so bad. They're just, they're so predictable. They just keep throwing it back to the point and blasting away from long range. And the goalies are making saves. We've
2: been talking about Cole Caulfield all morning and how good he looked, but you didn't see him for a lot of last night. But a question we haven't asked this morning yet is how could this guy not be in game one and two? And we've been trying to come up with different reasons on why he's not getting the time. Uh, why did he just magically appear in Game Three, or was this part of the plan?
7: I have no idea. I've been shaking my head about this since the start of the series. Just mentioning, there's a team who can't score, and you have a kid mm-hmm. who's a natural-born goal scorer who scored at every single level he's played at, including the NHL. He had four goals in ten games after he was called up, and some people might say, "Yeah, well, two of them were in overtime." Yeah, but. He got set chances to score, and he scored. You know, the problem with the canadians they have too many guys who get chances, and, and they can't score. So I, I really don't understand why they didn't put him in the lineup. Uh, I imagine it might have something to do with not having the last change in the first two games. Uh, after two periods last night, Caulfield had nine minutes of ice time. Uh, third period, they started double-shifting him a little bit when they needed a goal. And after the game, I asked uh, Dom Zicharman, the Zoom conference, you know, why were you reluctant to play him more often in the first two periods. And he sort of, he didn't like the question. Uh, mm-hmm. He said how oh, 15 minutes of his time is good. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I don't understand. I mean, I, I'm shaking my head. I'm sure a lot of Canadians fans are. I'm sure a lot of people around the NHL are. Is how a team that can't score goals and has, you know, the best natural goal scorer they've had in, in you know, at least since mac Pacioretty left. Uh, and they don't want to put
1: him in the lineup. With Stu Callan of the Montreal Gazette, uh, I'm the pom-pom wearer, the jersey wearer. I live in a condo building and my neighbors hear all my thoughts on the hockey game (laughs) as, as the game's being played. So, so that's where I'm coming from. I got to tell you, Stu, when price stoned Jason Spezza with the shaft of his Mm -hmm. stick in the first period, I thought, here we go. Here we go. And yet, you know, the Leafs end up winning the hockey game two to one. I think the goal, the Leafs allowed is one that Jack Campbell ultimately would want back and Ziggy mm-hmm. and I have talked about this as great as price was last night. And he was, I, I think the Riley goal from, from a playing your angles perspective is one that Kerry himself would want back.
7: Oh, for sure. I, I think Marner, I mean, that was an amazing pass Mitch Marner made. And I think he sort of caught him off, off guard and he was out of position as a result of that, but the score could have been five, one by that time. <laughs> it was uh, this, uh, you know, the, the Leafs had so many chances. As you mentioned that save, which could have been a turning point, and in the Canadians' game one victory, it was a big save by Price that was the turning point. He made that sliding blocker save on Marner's one timer, uh, and then shortly after that, uh, Byron scored the short-handed goal, and the Canadians won. But again, it just comes down to a case of Carey Price getting no help. Uh, you know, I jokingly wrote in my uh, post-game notebook last night, maybe they should put Jake Allen in goal tonight and put Carey Price at forward to see if maybe he can score. <laughs> uh, you know, it's the only thing. It's the only thing he can't do. But uh, and that's what the Canadians need. And it'll be interesting to see. You know, going into tonight's game, if Cole Caulfield gets more ice time, they also had him on the second power play unit. And you know, early in the game, he rang that shot off the crossbar. Uh, and that's the Cole. That's Cole Caulfield, right? He was open. Suzuki found him, and you know, one timer blast uh, that hit the crossbar. Unfortunately for him. And then later in the game, Suzuki fed him again, and he just missed the top corner. Um, so what the kids, you know, he's not Austin Matthews, of course, not in size or, or stature, or anything like that, but he has the ability that Matthews has to be able to find open ice and then get that shot away quickly. And you'd think the Canadians, that's something that they would want to not only have in the lineup, but use a lot. And, uh, until this point in the series, that just hasn't happened
1: with Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette, something to chew on brought to you by great Canadian
2: meat. What did you think about the Leafs lineup now that Felino and Tavares aren't, in it, are you a little surprised with how good they're still looking? I am,
7: and I'm not. I mean, they they just have so much talent on the Leafs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're talking about the old flying Frenchman. I mean, and now the Leafs say, you know, I call them the flying Englishman." But they have just so much talent on that team, especially offensive talent. You know, I mentioned Nealander. I mean, if he was on the Canadians, he'd probably be their best player. And he's, what, Mm -hmm. maybe their fourth best player on the Leafs? Maybe fifth, Mm -hmm. fourth anyway? Uh, You know, in Montreal, he'd be on the top line. He'd be getting top-line minutes. uh, And the Canes just don't have uh, enough guys like that. I mean, Nick Suzuki, the hot and cold. He had one shot in the first two games. He played better last night and got that goal. And Campbell would like to have that one back. Um, But again, no. Talent wins, and, and the Leafs just have so much more talent. And that's why I picked them to win this series in five games when it started. After game one, that prediction wasn't looking so good, but you know, I'll stick with it now because the Canadians, uh, you know, if the Leafs get their power play going, which we saw uh, you know, in game two, you know, the Canadians are done. Uh, last night, the Leafs struggled on the power play, which is why it was a close game, but if they get the power play going uh, tonight, uh, I don't think this will be a close game.
1: How much do you think Shea Weber is grinding through that hand injury? Right now,
7: yeah, that's that's a a really good question. Um, You know, there was a report here in in Montreal that it was ligament damage to his left thumb and that he'll need surgery after the season. Uh, You know, whoever will never complain about anything. This is a guy who played twenty games on a broken foot a few years ago, Uh, but he's just he hasn't looked himself. And you know, we're wondering before he was put out of line: Is it just age? Is he getting? uh, Is there an injury? I think maybe it's a bit of a combination of both. Uh, but he hasn't really been uh, the Shea Weber that you know people got to know in previous years uh, since his injury, and um, you know that they need him obviously. Him and Kerry Price are they're they're two big guys, and Price has played great. And boy, Weber, uh, Weber I think has played okay, uh, but uh, he hasn't been the same Shea Weber that people have come to know over the years.
1: Always appreciate the time, Stu, and uh, we'll reach out again either later in the series or for a post series wrap. Be well. Sa- sounds good. All right, take care, right. Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette Leafs and Habs play game four tonight in a back-to-back situation after the Leafs with a 2-1 victory over the Habs last night in game three. David Amber on who should start and goal for the Leafs. It's obviously got to be Jack, right? Except for hasn't done the consecutive nights thing all season, had an injury, working through it, et cetera, et cetera. So is there reason to debate that? We're still waiting for the true breakout game from Austin Matthews. That should scare Habs fans. And what do they do in Edmonton? David Amber on those questions and more next. So our next guest, Ziggs. Was on the air till like 2 30 in the morning. That's six period Jets, Oilers oh, right. game. right. Yeah,
2: three OTs and he woke up early. What do you think he's going to sound like? DA I... woke up, honestly, you don't know. Literally, D- three in the morning, five in the morning, eight in the morning, you won't know. You know he just comes on I, and I think, rocks it. I think I'm he's just got
1: to be honest. He's probably done a 90 minute workout already. He's probably
2: a pot Let of me tell coffee you. deep. No, he doesn't drink coffee. Trust me, this is like green tea, max. It's but there's got to be caffeine hour... in it, though. May I honestly? I think he'd be okay without caffeine. I think he can get he gets by the day, gets by the morning. There's a workout in there for sure. Usually two workouts. I'm telling you.
1: All right. Well, is funny enough. He, the he we're referring to has been listening <laughs> the whole time. David Amber, jump in and defend yourself. How you feeling this morning, pal? <laughs>
8: You guys do not know me very well. I, am, uh, <laughs> I had a lot of coffee last night. And, um, I haven't worked out in, in ages, at least since the playoffs again. And um, I'm currently lying in bed. i taking this call. Uh, yeah, it was a late one. It was a late one last night. I can't lie. But it was it was exciting. But it was a late one. And, um, man, I we there's a lot of, I mean, I've always said this, sports. Is the best reality, or you know, like live sports, the best reality TV there is. You just never know what's going to happen, and this is case in point. You know, the Jets sweeping the Oilers. I mean, just no one saw that coming. I know some people predicted the Jets would win the series, but no one thought they'd be able to do it in four games straight. It was uh, it was quite an incredible scene last night.
1: Okay, so so what happens with the Oilers, David? Because I, I could present an alternate reality to you and say that what if the Oilers win the three overtime games instead of lose them and what if we looked back on game one as a one goal loss instead of a multiple goal loss because of the empty netters that Winnipeg scored Mm -hmm. like it was a close series and I think if Edmonton advances and loses to whoever they play in the second round people would look at that and go, hmm, all right, not the end of the world. But they get swept in the first round, as it turns out, by the Winnipeg Jets. Does that inform Ken Holland heading into the summer? Or did he already have a sense of what his team was? Because if you go back to the trade deadline and and the lack of moves that he made, he said sometimes you got to pick and choose which years you're all in. And he was essentially saying this year ain't one of them
8: yeah i mean i listen I'm pretty sure Ken Holland knows what his team's about, and his team's about you know twenty nine and ninety seven uh you know and it's it, I'm not and that's not a disrespect to you know darnell nurse I uh, he had he had a sh- couple shifts last night that are longer than most hollywood marriages i mean he he had a he had a five minute shift at one point <laughs> yesterday it was it was unbelievable, and mike smith you know thirty nine year, years old or not looked you know, he was spectacular at times. I mean, it didn't have to go to three overtimes. It could have been over in the third period. It could have been over, you know, five or six times in that first overtime. So, um, no disrespect to them, but essentially the team's fortunes lie on the on the sticks of Drysaddle and McDavid, and I think Ken Holland's aware of that. And I think he was being uh, cautious at the trade deadline not to get sort of this glazed eye look on, ooh, the Oilers can make a run this year, because he realized they're a flawed team in many respects. There's going to be about $20 million coming off the books. They, regardless of how they beaten Winnipeg in the series and, and regardless of what happened, uh, there was going to be a lot of change and upheaval coming to this team. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, Adam Larson, who carries a big price tag, over $4 million, Tyson Berry, you know, Mike Smith, uh, Alex Chason. I can go on and on. They have about nine or ten UFAs. It's going to be a very different look. And, you know, there was a lot of speculation. Well, of course, Ryan Eugene Hopkins, he's a career oiler. He's a career oiler. Uh, you know, he might not be back. Uh, he is a very good piece. He's a strong player. He's going to want to get paid. Uh, the gap between what he makes and Connor and and, and Drysaddle isn't going to be egregious in, in his eyes. But he isn't, you know, that great secondary scoring piece. He just isn't, right? I think he had one point one assist or he had a goal yesterday but he does not score a, enough to be that contributing factor uh even though he's a very solid two-way player so this could be and the look on his face at the end of the game it almost like he might have feared that this was his last game as an oiler so i think they're gonna have a very different look uh next year and they're gonna have to try and address some of those these to give uh, some better complementary pieces surrounding those two superstars
2: would you make or take anything from Mc, what McDavid said and that they don't need to make all these big changes or like what would what, you think he meant by that like the like turn over the whole team except you know maybe him nurse and dry settle like i i I don't know what to make of of what he said, and that he just didn't seem like the Oilers needed to change a lot to be successful in the playoffs.
8: Well, you know what? His voice, you know, his words said one thing. His face said absolutely another. I, I mean, we yeah. ran a 45-second montage during intermission last night of him barking at every teammate. And, I know. Uh, you know, like, and it wasn't in a negative way. He was just trying to get them to raise up to his level of intensity and his level of, of fight. And he wasn't accepting any mistakes, some bad passes by Pooley and some bad breakouts and some dumb penalties. And I think he's fed up. I mean... Here's the thing, though. I mean, post game we're having this conversation about Nick David and his future and everything else. You know, superstars have had to suffer before they win. Mm-hmm. He's not going through a path that's any different than, than, than Alexander Ovechkin and Mario Lemieux than Steve Iserman and Joe Sakic. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys can just walk out there and, and start hoisting Stanley Cup. So there's pain. I mean, talk to Nathan McKinnon, right? There's pain. Uh, and now, finally, Nathan McKinnon, you know, a few years after Colorado was dead last in the NHL and seemingly going nowhere, uh, you know, they're a Stanley Cup favorite. So this is part of the process, but he is absolutely fed up. And, and for him to say, well, we, you know, I don't expect a lot of changes. I'm not sure that's one of those questions. What's he supposed to say? Yeah, we're getting rid of everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need some players. You know, <laughs> I, I, I think he recognized.
1: You always give it two or three yeah, seconds. Oh, you're back. Yeah. Okay, you dropped there, oh, you David. Yep. no, bring it back. Yep, we're good.
8: Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I was just saying. I was just saying. You know, McDavid can say what he wants, uh, but publicly. But we know privately he's he wants to. You know, he, he knows what's around him, and he knows what needs to be around him, and uh, and I'm sure he's looking around at some of the other young stars in the league and and looking at their complimentary pieces, and there's probably some envy there. So there's going to be a, a massive overhaul. In, in Edmonton, uh, I think simply because you have the ability to, you're going to have a bunch of money and a bunch of guys who are UFAs and you'll be able to make some decisions.
1: With David Amber on leadoff, Sportsnet 590 the fan. So the Leafs have dealt with the attrition, losing Tavares and then not having Nick Foligno last night very well. Mm-hmm. It, it was I, you know what? I, I, uh, Ziggy and I have talked all morning about the game and, and there's a lot of analyzing you to do. I I just thought that was a hell of a hockey game last night. It was fun. It was entertaining. There weren't a ton of goals, uh, but it was up and down the ice at times. I thought it was well played. There wasn't chippiness, but there was an edge. There was high competitiveness. And and I think this Leafs team deserves a lot of credit post the Tavares incident uh, with how it has handled things.
8: I agree 100%. There wasn't a lot of goals. The two goaltenders were spectacular. I mean, Carey Price made one of the best saves you're ever going to see. Jason Spezza probably, I, I didn't get much sleep last night. I imagine Jason Spezza got less sleep than I did. Thank God they won <laughs> the game though, right? Like how they lost. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was an unbelievable save. Uh, Jack Campbell was very uh, solid, if not spectacular again last night and, and just is zoned in. The pace was great up and down the ice. And it's going to be interesting to see what they can bring tonight. Tonight, for the first time in the series, Montreal is now trailing in the series, and I imagine Montreal might dictate the pace, might dictate the intensity, might dictate the physicality. So, um, the series has been good. The Leafs have shown they can grind out uh, a playoff win against a good team and a superstar goalie who's playing very well right now, and that that's a big thing. Uh, it's got to be a confidence builder. Uh, the key's going to be to to, to try and get through tonight's game and get through the rest of the series, not just to win it, but also to stay as healthy as possible. Because now you have a scenario where the Jets, as crazy as I triple overtime was, are going to be sitting down, relaxing, resting, preparing, and the Leafs aren't going to have that luxury, whether it's you know, going to take another two, three or well, four games. Uh, so it's going to be interesting uh, how they manage this. And, you know, Sheldon Keith hasn't said Jack Campbell's in net tonight. I assume he's in net tonight, but he hasn't said that. And the reason he hasn't is because he probably wants to wake up and, and check with Jack Campbell, and make sure Jack Campbell's mentally and physically prepared to go tonight. And I assume he will be, but that's uh, one of the big storylines heading into tonight's game four.
2: Yeah. At what point, though, would you have Anderson go in? Like if, if Campbell came to Keefe this morning and said, yeah, I'm feeling good, but that nagging injury I had all year that lower body I'm it's kind of crept up again at what point do you say okay now I need to put Anderson in
8: well I mean if those were the exact words from Jack Campbell I'd be I'd be leery to run the risk of bringing Campbell in and he tweaks something more severely and mm-hmm. then you're then you then you're okay it's David Riddick online two backing up Freddie Anderson who you just don't know where he is, so mm-hmm. I think you've got to listen to the goalie. uh You know, guys are playing hurt right now. Let's face facts: guys aren't playing through injuries. but guys are playing through nicks here and there. If it's just sort of a nagging thing, you know, I'd like to think Jack Campbell is gonna gonna do his best to play through it. So uh that is a big storyline, though, right? It's just because he just hasn't had that in his history, and he's had these even this year. It's incredible years have been for Jack Campbell. The one. Question mark has been his durability. He's just never had to go back to back. He's never had to be the guy. Uh, so this is new charter territory for him, and we'll see how it comes out tonight.
1: I'm just always worried when you say, "Listen to the players." Like, what's Jack Campbell going to say? <laughs> He's put me in, right?
6: And, yeah,
8: yeah. You know, yeah, but you know, I mean, that's sort of the situation we're in. Guys are playing. I mean, I was when when you heard Nick Foligno couldn't go last night, you said, "Wow!" Like he, this is something more severe and 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 you know this guy is a gamer this guy would would be out there but he doesn't want to be a detriment to the team and i've heard you know brian burke said the thing that drove him bonkers about you know he would say don't be hero we're better off having a guy at our disposal for 60 minutes than having you come out and play one shift and then we're down a forward we're down a defenseman so they've got you got to be honest as well right i mean you got you know what that position calls for, um, the mobility you need to have to be effective in an NHL playoff game. You can't cheat that. You can't hide that. So if Jack Campbell's not ready, I'm sure he'll say, guys, I, I can't go. I'm stiff. I, I can't move or whatever the case may be. Uh, but that's one storyline we're looking into tonight. But I, I do think it's now incumbent on Montreal to try and carry the play and uh, and find a way to score. That's been their Achilles heel for as long as we can remember. Well, just They don't have balanced scoring. They don't have a lot of scoring. So we'll see what happens tonight.
1: Well, and with David Amber, I like it. It may be one of those old cliches, survive the first five to 10 minutes if you're the Leafs, right? It's a back to back situation, too. So, you know, the legs might get a little tired as the game goes on. I, I still think that there's a big game, like goals wise, points wise, out of Austin Matthews in this series. That really yeah. hasn't happened yet. So that would worry me if I were rooting for the Habs. And he's a lightning rod in this market, David. You live here, you know this as well as anybody else. William Nylander lost his centerman. Nick Fellino also wasn't available to play in the middle on that line last night, and he's been a driving force for this team. It's not just the goals that he's scoring, he deserves all the credit in the world for how he's played.
8: This is the best I've seen William Nylander play when things matter, and that's been a little bit of a knock on Nylander, and fairly so. Um, you know, he hasn't necessarily risen to the occasion. He has looked fantastic in these three games and he's quite honestly one of the segments we did last night Elliot Freeman said we've got to, at least have got to find a way to get William Nylander a bit more ice time I know mm-hmm. his lines been put through the blender I know his complimentary pieces haven't been there but he's earned that opportunity he's not out there on the first power play so how you can get this guy a little bit more time because he's been a legitimate threat in this series you know, he's the one multi-goal scorer for the Leafs in this series. He's scored in all three games, and he's been one of their best players in all three games. So that's a big reason they're up two games to one. And, and you're right, because, you, you know, often Matthews has been putting a ton of shot attempts up uh, and hasn't been scoring at the pace that he scores at. So sooner or later, that's going to change. It could change as early as tonight.
1: Thanks for this, Pell. Uh, you going back to sleep?
8: No, the dog's barking, and now you guys got me all thinking about tonight's game. I had to go prep for that. I think he's got me feeling guilty. I haven't worked out yet. And no, God. I Dude, got that's why you got a big
1: that. backyard where you live. Send the dog outside. Let it roam around.
8: <laughs> yeah, I might have to do that. I, you know, no one seems to be paying any attention. My kids are still asleep. Probably they should be in school right now. I wasn't awake to wake them up, so we'll see what happens.
1: Thanks, Phil. It's always fun. Enjoy
8: it. Thanks. Yeah, guys, take care. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. You
1: bet. David Amber of Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, Leslie and Scarborough on the text line to 59590. Morning, guys. Uh, sorry about last night, Hugh, uh, but I'm taking credit for the W. Was heading back from a day trip yesterday with the girlfriend and some of her friends every time I put on the game in the car to check the score the Leafs had scored. I'm truly superstitious. There you go. Well, hmm. superstitions, uh, superstitions play a role. I'm going to sit on the same part of the couch tonight. Mm-hmm. And have dinner at the same time. I'm going to do that whole thing. And I'm going to scream and yell at the TV, Zig.
2: Yeah, I when can't we, wait for
1: this one. Yeah. When we wake up tomorrow morning, are we talking about the
2: Leafs with a stranglehold? Or are we looking at a 2-2 best of three? I think the Leafs have to go all in. I think that's what the game prep should be. That should be the message from the coaching staff. Not let's go, keep keep doing things the way we're doing. We've been playing well. You know, Jackson net, just, you know, keep making, keep being solid in there for us. I, I don't think that's the message. I think it's... We need this one tonight. You you definitely don't want to square this one at twos because I'm more concerned about Winnipeg sitting there and waiting now. Mm-hmm. If this drags out and the way they have to play in two days, if it goes you know six seven games, I, I'm I'd be more concerned about moving forward in the playoffs. So this is a big one for them. They can close it out if they get this. It's uh, and, and really gives them a chance to wrap it up in five. Leafs and Habs
1: game four tonight. Sportsnet and CBC at seven o'clock. The Blue Jays host the well, they don't host the Rays. They are at the Yankees, at the Yankees on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and on Sportsnet 1 at 7 o'clock tonight. We will be back at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning to break down game four. Good show is next. Have a great Tuesday.
0: tie Amps, Castro, Bergen, Cole, Beasley, who? Jeremy Beasley.